Give me my fucking keys. It's a trash pal. Yeah, come come on, come ride in the back with me. I'll let you do things to me. Nobody drives my car with me. You got that shit smeared. Loud and clear. Get the car. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus! You can't drive for shit, you know that? God. Can you say alcoholic? Alright, what the hell is this crap? Mic check, one, two, one, two. Just want to make sure we're all good this time. Yep, check, check. Ladies and gentlemen, this is yet another installment of the 2021 Halloween Harathon. So welcome to the Film Effect Podcast, where we take all things horror to the full effect. My name's Ed, and returning once more is everyone's favorite film effector, Corey. What's up, film effectors? And if you're a fellow cinephile like us, or just a casual fan of movies in general, then you're tuning into the right show. This is a weekly podcast that does deep dives and touches lives on a weekly basis, focusing on a particular film each episode in an effort to give it the full film effect treatment. But before we commit vehicular manslaughter and ditch the body, I want to let you guys know that our ever-going collection of previous episodes can be found on our website at podpage.com slash the-film-effect-podcast, as well as all major platforms direct link in the episode notes. And with the mention of platforms, you can help us out a great deal by using Apple Podcasts to leave us an honest rating and review when the show is over. It helps us in so many ways, and we just genuinely love hearing from you guys. All right, Corey. This is for all the marbles. What's the show's Facebook and Instagram handle for our fellow horror heads? The Film Effect Podcast. All right. And where can they find us over in Twitter land? At Film Effect Pod. And how about that email address for the email crowd in the back? The Film Effect Podcast at gmail.com. Here we go. Three for three again. Woohoo! So I'm kind of bummed, dude. Fucking Chiefs are starting out two and three this season. It's not looking good. Mahomes just look like shit. Yeah, they'll pick it up. They'll uh, pick it up. Yeah, they said that last week too, and then we lost again to the Bills. Sunday night game is a big one. Um, Bills I, are looking good this year, though. I'll say that. Bills have had a consistent team for the last few years. I want to say ever since they drafted Josh Allen, they've been good. They just haven't been good enough. Um, I mean, they made it to the playoffs the last two years, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, they're good, and... Kind of like with Baltimore. They just couldn't beat Mahomes. And then this year, 
Look what happened. Baltimore, I was at the game. It was heartbreaking. Mahomes finally did it after four games. Beat Mahomes. And then Allen, I think this is this was their third, I think, encounter. And he finally won. So I I just I have concerns about the team overall. And now we have our star running back on IR, which I mean, he's one of my issues with the team. Actually, I I just think Clyde's Edwards has been a bust. Um, I just think he's too small and, and can't break the tackles. He's been a bust since last season. Everyone was like, he's going to pull through. He's going to pull through. Bullshit. <laughs> How's the defense this year? I, I know it's been previously. Great. It's, it's worse than last year. It's, I, I, I've been saying like the defense peaked three seasons ago. Ironically enough, the season that we didn't go to the Super Bowl because D4 wanted to go off sides. Ever since then, they've just been slipping because we've been losing people. And they really, they haven't been doing a good job of just bringing, you know, people in. Um, they were supposed to just completely rehash the offensive line over the, you know, off season because of the Super Bowl. Look what happened. Mahomes couldn't even score one touchdown because the O line was so bad. Right. And they spent all these draft picks on new guys and stuff, and they 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 were just like the talk of the town going into the season, and then complete bust, complete bust on both sides. It's just. It's painful to be a Chiefs fan right now. I mean, I know I'm probably over-exaggerating because, like I said, it's, you know, two and three. It's still early in the season, but we've never had a season like this under Mahomes. So I'm, you know, kind of got my flag out. So so how about that Scream trailer? Did you watch it? No, I didn't watch it. Oh, yet. that's right. You don't do spoilers. I mean, you don't do trailers because of spoilers, smart yeah, guy. Yeah, especially, yeah, certain movies I'll watch, like, Dune, I watched that trailer, you know, but like horror movies, I tried to avoid a lot of times because a lot of stuff gets spoiled. Smart, smart. Okay, so I'll give you my thoughts on the trailer without going into spoilers, obviously. Um, look, at the end of the day, it's a screen movie, and I'm happy we're seeing another one. I know it's been, what, 11 years since the last one? Yeah, I like Scraform. That was pretty good. It was okay. It was alright. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I think this looks great. Radio Silence is behind it. They're the guys who did Ready or, Ready or Not two years ago. Yeah, that was pretty good. I like that one. Right, right. And, like, I just think that it's it's going to be a fun... At the end of the day, it's going to be a popcorn... Uh, a, a popcorn... Yeah. It's, at the end of the day, it's going to be a fun popcorn flick. And, you know, let's see what happens this time. Because every single one, ever, ever since the second one, it's been, like... This time we're gonna go deeper in the Sydney's past. It's like, well, how much deeper can we go? So let's <laughs> yeah. let's see what happens here. I mean, the last film, our goddamn niece was the killer. So you know, yeah. <laughs> um, spoiler alert for those who haven't seen Scream Four. <laughs> so yeah, um, last night Sean and I went to the premiere of Halloween Kills. Yeah, yeah. How was it? And let me tell you, it's kill. It's it's called Halloween Kills for a freaking reason. That movie is brutal. Um, it it actually opens on a su- rather surprising note. It doesn't open with the fire sequence that we see saw in the trailers with the firefighters and stuff. With the fire, the house, kind of like where the first one left off. Right. Um. But it has ties to the first one, and then something else happened. I mean, ties to the, to the 2018 one, and then something happens that just I didn't see coming, and I was just completely taken back by it. And uh, yeah, overall, go see this movie. It 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 exceeds over 2018 in so many levels. 
not the best. You're never going to top the first one. But as far as brutality, uh, a good slasher film, it's it's a fun movie. It's it's a great film for um, just fans of the franchise. It's it's a worthy follow up, just like I felt 2018 was. Um, uh, yeah, I, I can't not I cannot wait to talk about it this weekend for Monday's episode because that's the next episode. It's Halloween Kills. So, uh, Sean, Sean and I are doing that Saturday because <clears throat> you know Friday it's going to be on Peacock. So we have we can watch it a couple times to take our notes and stuff. Yeah, cool. I'm excited for it. Yeah, I'll definitely be on there as yeah. long as the cock doesn't uh, crash. You know. Yeah, there. we'll see. So check it out, and then Monday, listen to Sean and I rant about it for a couple hours. All right, some shout outs. Shout out to his family. I want to give a special shout out to Carlo for having me on his show last minute this past Sunday. Um, I believe the episode's going to drop today, the 15th. Uh, at least that's what he told me. And it was basically him and I for about an hour and a half just shooting this shit about horror. Him and I came up with the top five all-time favorite horror film list. And we talked about some honorable mentions. And it was just a really fun and casual hour and a half conversation. That's cool. About, you know, between two cinephiles about the horror genre because it's the spooky season. So why not? Uh, so yeah, look out for that. It's the movie loot and I am the guest host this time. And yeah, it's a really fun episode and I'm looking forward to everyone to hear it. Yeah, I'm um, excited. So thank you again. Uh, thank you again, Carlo, for that opportunity. Uh, I had a really good time and, um, Looking forward to hearing the episode, buddy. Real quick, we have some new regions. Some uh, new listeners in Taiwan and Hong Kong. Shout out to those territories. Thank you for your ears. Welcome to the party, pal, as we always say here in the Film Effect. Thanks, guys. Alright, it's current events. All right, let's talk Squid Game. <laughs> I haven't watched it yet. I haven't yet. either, but everyone's been telling me. Literally Thursday, I got three text messages and a phone call from random, not yeah, from random people. Some people I never even really talked to on a basis like that. Like actually texted me and was like, "Squid Game," and I'm like, <laughs> "What the hell?" Everyone's like plotting to tell me to watch Squid Game. That's how I felt on Thursday. Yeah, it's like it was number one on the top ten, I think it was, or something on Netflix's top ten. So it must be pretty popular right now because I've had a couple people tell me about it too. Because uh, you know everybody knows I like horror, yeah. so it, it's kind of funny everybody's talking about that. <laughs> well, currently I don't have my Netflix account activated because, to be honest, there's nothing really on there that I really want to waste ten dollars a month to just be idle because i have so many platforms that i subscribe to yeah you gotta you gotta balance them exactly and so right now currently it's not it's disconnected my my, my netflix account so i don't think squid game is going to be enough to pull me in solely now i watched the clip like someone posted like a 20 minute youtube video kind of like going down the main plot points of like what is it seven or eight episodes and providing commentary and i kind of cheated and watched it that way Sorry, guys. Um, but again, uh, it's going to be a while before I reactivate my Netflix to even watch this. So bear with me here. Um, and yeah, uh, from what I saw, I thought it looked pretty fun. 
Um, granted, it, it wasn't the entire, actually, I, I lied. It wasn't all eight episodes or whatever it was. It was about the first three or four. And I liked what I saw. The, one of them involved this giant Bob's Big Boy-esque looking doll that turned around like playing peekaboo. And every time someone moved when it turned around, they got executed. So that was pretty crazy. And then there was like a trap slash game that involved tug of war. So without going into the spoilers there, uh, yeah, I, I guess check it out. Everyone's telling me to check it out. So in turn, I'm going to tell you guys, check it out. Squid Game, if you haven't already, which I'm sure by now everyone listening has fucking watched this show on Netflix. So Yeah, I, <laughs> I you know... I I'm gonna watch it. I just haven't had time. There's been a few other other things that I've been watching. Uh, you know that'll come back to play in uh, this week's recommends. Actually, All right, let's get to it. Creepy recommends. What would you get for a six year old boy who chronically wets his bed? Uh, you wanna go first this time? Yeah. So uh, mine is one um, that's actually on Netflix as well. So it might be a reason for you Ed, or anybody else who doesn't have a Netflix. Um, active subscription right now to re-up is Midnight Mass. Okay, that's the new, uh, Michael, not Michael, uh, yeah, Mike Flanagan. Mike, Mike Flanagan, Mike, yeah. Mike Flanagan. You can, Mike call, Flanagan. you can call me a Flanagan because I like anything he does. I think he's one of the best, um, directors working in horror right now. Uh, love Dr. Sleep. Yeah, love Dr. Sleep. Love Dr. I think, Sleep so much. I think it's about as good as a sequel, pseudo-sequel you're gonna get yeah, to, uh, The absolutely. Shining. Um, I think, um, Oculus is one of the most underrated Thank horror you. movies. Thank you. Thank you. I've been trying to get Sean to get on Oculus for a while now. Oculus. I, I think I brought it up on the show once or twice before. Very, very underrated film with Karen Gillan. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I remember when it came out, like, nobody was talking about it. And no, I no, watched no. it, and I was like, what is going on? Like, this is great, you know? It, it really is. It's 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 very overlooked, very great um, horror flick. More or less, it's about a killer mirror, um, without going into spoilers. So, yeah. Yeah. Duh. But it's pretty original concept on that one. And then um, one of my other favorite uh, limited series, Haunting on Hill House, uh, which was fantastic as well. Yeah. Uh, that he, came out a couple of years back. It seems like he does like a big miniseries for Netflix around this time every year. Yeah. They're like, we need something good. Fucking call Flanagan. You yeah. Know? Gerard's just, Game. Great. Yeah. Granola Goodman that I watched on there that he did. Um, God, God, Hush. You have to talk about Hush. Yeah, Hush. Hush yeah. is so good. Um, yeah. but yeah good. he hasn't had a miss yet but anyway i was excited for midnight mass and um you know i watched a trailer um so i was uh pretty pumped for it and it did not disappoint it's a it's a great series i ended up uh, i can't really binge like i used to but i ended up watching the whole i think seven episodes within a few nights um because that's how hooked i was yeah um you know, it's it's very uh, unpredictable. Like it, it definitely goes left when I thought it was gonna go right. Okay. Uh, you know, if if it hasn't been spoiled for you, you're not gonna see some of the stuff coming. Um, the writing and the characters are fantastic. Um, Flanagan, um, it's really one of his strong suits, I think. And uh, you know, there's so many flushed out and just uh, interesting characters on the show. Um, all the actors are great. Uh, there's a couple standouts. Um, Samantha Slohan or Slohan, I'm not sure how exactly you say that. She plays uh, Bev Keen, uh, just one of the great villains I've seen recently. Like she knocks it out of the park. Like, oh, okay. You just want to punch her in her face the whole time <laughs> she's on screen. She's great. Gotcha. And then the guy who plays the uh, pastor, let me find his name. He's great too. Hamish Linklater. He's been in a few things, like The Big Short. I saw him on a HBO show newsroom. He's great as the pastor. 
Um, you know, because he's kind of the villain, but then, you know, I don't want to spoil it, but it, it's just a very well-rounded character, and, um, you know, that's... The show was just great. I had a great time hey, uh, watching wait, wait. Speaking of, um... What, you say, what was it? Big Empty, you said? The Big Short. The Big Short. Yeah. Speaking of The Big Short, um... Uh, HBO Succession comes back on Sunday. Are you a fan of that show? No, I want to start watching it. I just you have to, man. It's such it's my favorite show on television currently. I I, so good. It's been two years, and I cannot wait for Sunday. I mean, I'm actually got two episodes left in my rewatch. I'm excited for the comeback. Yeah, I can't wait. I think so good. I think Google's ads are telling me because I keep seeing uh, little trailers for it, like on my ads. It's it's worth it, man. Um, but yeah, I'll definitely get to it because I just um. Uh, redid my plan for uh, Xfinity and I made sure to keep HBO just with all the movies that are dropping on it now oh, yeah. and also I, I have been wanting to watch that um, you know now that the new season's coming on I'll definitely check it out but anyway Midnight Mass not getting the buzz like uh, Squid Game is but definitely worth your time especially if you want something a little more character based uh, yeah. excellent okay my turn An oldie but a goodie 1979's Phantasm from Don Cascarari Awesome. I just recently watched that a couple months ago. Yeah, and it holds up for sure. I love it. I mean, I got the whole collection over there on Blu-ray. I've got the sphere right behind me. Um, it's just... I, I say it's got the right amount of praise in the genre. Uh, it, I wouldn't yeah. call it underrated or overrated. I would call it just the right amount of praise because a lot of people... You mean, the tall man. Boy! You know, it's, it, you know that. You know that what that's from when you hear it. You know, yeah. the sphere. The ball, you know, whatever you want to call it, everyone's got their own name for it, but like it's just deadly. Um, it's the little, the little gnomes that like that are kind of like the, the creatures from uh, Star Wars, wherever that. I'm not a big Star Wars guy. Yeah, the Ewoks. Not the Ewoks. No, the the creatures from where like um the the planet where Luke Skywalker is from in the beginning of New Hope. The they Jawas. The, the Jawas. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, they're in this, uh, more or less. And um, uh, what's his face? Um. Yeah, it's just an odd movie. Like, it's definitely not your normal um, mainstream horror. It's de- you can tell it's like independent done horror movie. <laughs> and Reggie Bannister. Oh, oh yeah, Reggie. Fucking love me some Reggie. He was one of the first actors I ever met at my first convention 20 years back. He was so cool, so down to earth. He was selling guitars. He had a story for everything. Um, it's unfortunate I heard recently that he had to retire because he's... um. I think he has dementia or something. Oh, it's, it's, it's unfortunate because it's a real shame because if you were ever able to meet Reggie Bannister at a horror convention over the years, you know what I'm talking about. The, the man was just so down to earth and so he would just wait for every single fan and just he would make sure everyone's met. Um, and he would at least have a, you know, minute or two long conversation with them. Cause he, you know, he didn't have the longest lines, but at least you know every person that met him got their experience uh, got got an experience you know out of it because Reggie had a story for everything and he was just so cool and nice and mellow and yeah going to miss talking to him at conventions he was in all the sequels right yeah he's yeah. in every sequel um hadn't it been from universal recasting um the the, the character of um Mike in part 2 then Adam Ball, Adam, then Michael Baldwin would have been in all of them, uh, huh. but he's in all of them but two because uh, James Legro, uh played him in part two. 
So yeah, Phantasm, and hell, while you're at it, throw in Phantasm 2, because it's just as good, if not better. I always liked the second one better. Yeah, the second one's yeah. just so much fun. I actually grew up on the on the second one over the first. I saw the second one before the first, is what, yeah. I, what I'm saying. Because it's one of the movies growing up, it was always on HBO and Cinemax, so. Have you seen the newer sequel? I haven't seen yeah. the newer one. I actually, when I bought that collection last year, this time last year, I, I sat down over two days and watched all five films. Okay. And Ravager, part five. Yeah. Not yeah. bad. I actually thought it was a very fitting conclusion to the saga, even though half the film is uh, unused footage from the first movie, but they incorporate it into the plot creatively. It's not like just random flashbacks for the fuck of it. They actually like have a reason to go back and revisit these uh, unused you know, scenes you know, uh, from the first movie that they incorporated into this. It didn't have the biggest budget, but I thought in the end, it was fitting. It was a great uh, a great swan song for um, uh, the 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 late Angus Grimm, and yeah, yeah, because he passed right after that. Right, right after it, yeah, yeah. I remember seeing that because I haven't seen the Ravager. I've seen I have a little disc with the first four. I haven't seen the okay. uh, latest one, but I, I want to check it out eventually. Yeah, I had never seen. Here's a, this is the truth. I had never seen three and four, even those two, before I got the collection last year. I have only grew up on one and two and never watched three or four or obviously five. But then, like I said, I got it and I binged them on. I'm glad I did. I liked all of them for what they were worth. I like how three and four kind of go hand in hand. Yeah. Um, I like how, like I said, even Ravager, I think it's a fitting conclusion to the series. And yeah, so. Um, listen, you little shit stick Mayberry ass reject. There's been a murder. And you're going to fry in hell if you ignore it. This is I Know You Did Last Summer. So the boy and girl are making out, right? When they hear over the radio that this lunatic killer's escaped from an insane asylum. That's not the way it goes. The boy goes for help and the girl stays in the car and she hears this, like, scratching sound. No, he's been decapitated. No, he was gutted with a hook. We can't just leave him here. Oh, tell me, little Miss Prelaw, what's the charge for manslaughter? We make a pact. Right here and now we take the Sar grave. For the last year, four friends have kept a secret. Are you on drugs? No. Well, then what is wrong? I've had a rough year. But not all secrets stay buried. Somebody sent this to me. Oh, my God. Someone knows. I know what you did last summer. Ooh. What they thought would be a new beginning. Toast to us. Is becoming a dead end. Somebody tried to kill you last night. We have to go to the police. If you wanted me dead, he could have done it. And the mistake they made. It was an accident. There was no accident. It was murder. What if he's still alive? Hey! What are you doing here? Is coming back to haunt them. Oh, my God. He's after me, too. I got a letter. I got run over. Helen gets her hair chopped off. Ah! Julie gets a body in a trunk and you get a letter? That's balanced. She's waiting for us to unravel. <laughs> the wait is over. What are you waiting for, huh? What are you waiting
you did last summer. <gasps> Alright, so I know you did last summer centers on four young friends who are stalked by a Hulk-wielding killer one year after covering up a car accident in which they killed someone. Alright, it's first time viewings. Uh, it's, it's just that. You see, this is actually uh, my, my first time. No, no, my first, it's my first time uh, since my first time. So technically, that's my second time, and I don't, I don't, I don't want to suck at it. So if I'm not up to, um, this is easy. You and I <laughs> saw this yep. together opening weekend. It was actually a Sunday night. I remember this screening very well. We went on a Sunday evening, you and I. I remember going. I don't remember it was a Sunday. I it don't was. Know how the here's, fuck you remember that? Here's why: because you got we we saw it, and then afterwards. Your parents picked us up, and we went out to Bel Air to uh, John and Irene's for okay. uh, something. I don't know why we were up there, but it was up in there. You know, I guess they had just moved up there. This was back in '97. Yeah, that was around the time. Yep. Because obviously, like this, this um, episode kind of coincides with the 24th anniversary of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's not a milestone, but it's something. It came out the 17th, but we'll get into that later. Um, so yeah, you and I saw it that Sunday when it opened up. Um, I remember being obsessed with this after it came out. Yeah, uh, I, mean, I mean, it was big. Like, it was a big movie. You know, it, 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 I was looking was talking forward. About this I movie. was, I couldn't wait to see it. I was like, oh, this is awesome. They got a killer with a hook. That's going to be badass, you know. Oh, they're, they're, they're covering up a murder and the guy's coming after him. Yeah, you know. Never knew it was an actual book. But, you know, it was also from the writer of Scream. And it's well, like, Kevin that, Williamson, fuck you, I'm all in. That's why I was excited, because he actually wrote this before Scream. He did. But he couldn't get it made until he did Scream, and then they're like, what else you got? Right, exactly. Um, so let's just cut right into story time, because it actually turned, it, 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 it kind of continues this conversation we're having, because... Tell me a story. Wait. Like my story? No, not your story, a story. Since you can't keep your mouth shut long enough for me to read my paper, tell me a story. I don't think I know any stories. You don't know any stories? No. All right, I'll tell you a story. This is a newspaper, right? It's 90% bullshit, but it's entertaining. That's why I read it, because it entertains me. You won't let me read it. So you entertain me with your bullshit. Tell me a story right now. Go. Like I was saying, I was obsessed with this after it came out. I could not wait. The weekend after its release, I went to the movies that Sunday, I mean that Saturday and Sunday, I went with I went with Metzger, and then I went with my buddy Nick the the following day, um, and yeah, it was just yeah, because I went with Nick because it's uh, at East Point because his parents went and saw Kiss the Girls and we watched Sunday did last summer, <laughs> so um, three times in the theater. Yeah, you were definitely into it more than I was. I, I had I had the soundtrack. I love the soundtrack. The soundtrack was good. I remember liking that, and I had a huge crush on uh, Jennifer Love. Here, everyone so did. Yeah, everyone, everyone did. did. But especially her, I I always really liked Uh-oh. her. Yeah, movie came out. You know, that following March or whatever on VHS. I had that 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 copy with the holographic case. Um, and yeah, it's just I, I loved this movie when it came out. It was just it, it was it, it connected with me because yeah, me too. I don't know. I was it was just it. I was at that range. I get that age. I, yeah, I guess we were the uh, in the sweet spot. I mean, I saw it a lot, definitely. You know, 
And that says a lot because I was like, I love these kind of movies. I was a big Scream fan, obviously. We talked about that already. Um, but this movie was just... And now watching it with a different pair of eyes, got some stuff to talk about. So uh, let's cut through this and get into Live Top 5. Rob, it's your turn. Okay, I'm feeling kind of basic today. Top 5 side ones, track ones. Janie Jones, Clash, from The Clash. Mm. Let's get it on, Marvin Gaye from Let's Get It On. Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit off of Nevermind. Oh no, Rob, that's not obvious enough, not at all. How about uh, Point of No Return on Point of No Return? Lewis, so you can uh, get up a- Shut up, shut up. <laughs> white Light, White Heat, Velvet Underground. Okay, that would be on my list. Though and not on mine. Massive Attack, No Protection, the song is Radiation Ruling. All right, so for this episode, I asked for top five Scream Generation Who Done It slashers like the the post screen late nineties early thousands uh not including Scream or its sequels um uh, did I drop that bomb show on you <laughs> don't include Scream <laughs> yeah Scream's not on mine okay good very good um so I'll start with an honorable mention real quick the faculty I was gonna bring that up because it's definitely influenced but I didn't know if it fit yeah I was on the enough. fence that's why I didn't put it on my actual top five because it was like is it really a slasher. Eh, it's, not it really. falls into that mold of like Hollywood hot people with Mary Max Dimension putting it out. Yeah. That late nineties release date. I mean, in fact, it came out Christmas Day uh in ninety eight. And yeah, I mean the fact that it's more of a sci fi invasion of the yeah. body snatchers type film. I remember loving it, yeah. I don't know. I mean it's still it, it had a body okay. count, it had young hit people. I was a fan of it, so yeah, the faculty. So my number five, kicking this off officially is Valentine, a movie we also saw together in theaters <laughs> yep. for your birthday. I remember Valentine. Uh, one thing that stands out about Valentine to me was your brother was like obsessed with that DVD when I Yes! Do you remember that? I just remember asking him, Andrew, why are you carrying that around? Alright, so we're going to throw Andrew under the bus, okay? I'm sorry, dude. I had to bring it up. I... <laughs> no, no, it's a telegram. He did. He did. He, he was, um... And it's funny because Scream, when I had the VHS version of it, when I bought it after it came out, like pre-owned or whatever... He took the cover and would carry it around with him. Valentine, he had that DVD, carried it around with him. I mean, he was what? He was 10, 11. Yeah. 10 and 11. Yeah, definitely. He was younger. Younger. I, I mean, and just um, so I don't completely throw you under the bus, I did the same thing with Goosebumps when I was probably around your age. I would carry him around. I would read one. I would have like three for some reason. So don't feel bad, bro. I did the you, same thing. You know what I think it was? Like looking back in hindsight, what's that? It, I mean, who's front and center on that cover of our, on that cover box? Denise Richards. Yeah, that makes sense. It, yeah. Little Andrew had a crush. That's all. <laughs> I just remember that. I don't remember really anything about that movie other than Andrew carrying it around. <laughs> all right, what's your number five? All right, so mine is kind of uh, cheating a little bit, I guess, but it's definitely influences Halloween H two O. It's not a who done it. How you know, is that cheating? Because it's not a who done it. It's a slasher. Yeah, I mean, you know who did slasher. it. Yeah, you know who did it. But it's definitely influenced uh, by Scream. I mean, you can tell just by the poster, just oh, by yeah. the way it's done. I, I mean, mean, Kevin Williamson wrote the treatment for the movie. Yeah, I mean, it it it, it would have been a way different movie if Scream wasn't the hit it was. Yeah, you know, uh, I mean, I think Michael for sure. Myers is played by Chris Durand, who plays uh, Ghostface in Scream too. Yeah. Which, ironically enough, they're watching in that movie. It's kind of weird. Um, my number four is a little unknown ditty called Cherry Falls. <laughs> Our list is going to be pretty similar. <laughs> okay. I can already tell. 
Which but yeah, Cherry Falls, I, I like that one. That had like issues getting released, didn't it? Isn't that what I remember? All right, so the story behind the release of Cherry Falls, it, it was made from, I forgot what company made it. I believe, I want to say it was Fox, maybe? Shot it, everything. Columbine happened. Oh, okay. Didn't know what to do with it. Dumped it. Uh, USA, the TV network, picked it up through their USA label, which is now, I believe, a Universal um, off off label. And they dumped it Halloween night in 2000 on their on the USA network. It was uh, made for TV. I it remember. was marketed. They, they made it like it was a marketed for TV movie or made for TV movie. And initially, it was made for theatrical. But then Columbine happened and... Killer, killing virgins, high school. Kid, I like the idea. Close to home. Yeah, I thought the idea was I, I pretty think good. The, though. I, I think the movie's really underrated. I love Michael Bean in it as the sheriff slash father of Brittany Murphy. Yeah, uh, with uh, ties to the past of what you know gets the story going. Um, Jay Moore, um, guys, I mentioned her already. Brittany Murphy, she's pretty. Yeah, she was good. She's in really it. good yeah. in that movie. Uh, but yeah, if, if you guys have not seen it, uh, I implore you to check it out. It's really underrated. It's a slasher film. Like I said, it came out in 2000. Um, Scream Factory put out a really solid Blu-ray uh, a few years back. But yeah, it's called Cherry Falls. Um, so yeah, what's your number four? So uh, mine is uh, one that I really enjoyed. Uh, Bride of Chucky. Uh Okay. Definitely, you yep. know, again, uh, bending a little bit, but definitely influenced. The poster um, mocks Scream 2's poster. Yeah, it mocks Scream 2. There's so many meta and self-referential uh, jokes in the movie. Uh, it just went a different way. Uh, you know, we've already done Child's Play, so you know how big of a fan uh, both Ed and I are of the franchise. And uh, it definitely, you know, just kind of took Scream and kind of molded it a little bit into the Chucky franchise. And I really had a good time uh, seeing that one. So it easily made my list. Can I be honest real quick? What's that? I've intentionally held off on watching Bride of Chucky or rewatching Bride of Chucky for the last, I want to say, better part of the decade <laughs> because I'm kind of scared that I'm not going to like the film anymore because the last time I watched it, Come I remember on. being kind of on the fence with it. Like, it's really? Got Ritter. It's got Ritter. How bad could it be? This is coming from a guy <laughs> who will go to his grave being a seat of Chucky Defender. Yeah, this is coming from a guy who's w- one of my top five all-time favorite horror films. Is Child's Play too? I mean, I love it, but Brian Chucky's just—I don't want to get over head, or I, I don't want to go get over myself, or, or I don't want to get ahead of myself, or, or, or say too much because I haven't watched the film in about a decade. But I'm just kind of scared to go back and revisit it because I just think that I'm not going to like it this time around. But We'll see. I, eventually, we're going to cover it. So, it, it's inevitable. <laughs> I'm going to be watching that fucking movie one way or another. Yeah, it, I haven't watched it, like, super recently, but a few years ago, several years ago, I watched it, and it still held up for me. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't right, one well, of those that, that fell apart. That makes me feel a little bit better, then. Yeah. All right, so my number three is Halloween H2O. All right. Great minds think alike. Right on. Um. All right, so my number three is, previously mentioned, Valentine. Um, so I remember seeing the movie. I remember liking it. How the hell is a movie your number three? You don't remember it. 
<laughs> I don't remember a ton about it, but I remember definitely <laughs> thinking, wow, this is a lot. I, I just remember having the scream ties to it. Like We saw it for your birthday. We it did. came out in 2001. Yeah. I remember being like all about it. I couldn't wait to see it because it was like, yeah. you know, another who done it slasher film. I was eating them bitches up at that time. And then it had the most badass mask i still think that mask is fucking gnarly and then the blood the the, the cherub mask it's just awesome yeah and the blood yeah freaky yeah i I like that too like it's up there because like cronenberg's mask and um and um what was it nightbreed oh yeah yeah decker 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 yeah that one was a good one too but yeah coming soon we're talking about nightbreed in a couple weeks on here looking forward to that one yeah, it's a good one. But yeah, Valentine, I don't, I haven't seen it. I don't think I've seen it since it first hit DVD, you know, however many years ago that was. So I, I want to revisit that one. I don't know if there's a Check it out. Release. Scream Factory put it out. Scream Factory. Yeah, yeah, they put it out a couple years ago. I might ago. pick it up if I can get it pretty yeah, cheap. Definitely check it out. All right. So my number two is this movie. I know what you did last summer. So for reasons we'll be talking about for the next hour or so. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I purposely didn't put it on mine just because I feel like we're already talking about okay, it. Okay, fair enough. But yeah, I understand where you're going. So my number two is uh, previously mentioned Cherry Falls. You know, I think that's definitely the most one of the most underrated out of like the subgenre we're talking about yeah. here. Uh, just because a lot of people haven't seen it, a lot of people you no say Cherry Falls, it. no uh, one saw it. I that's mean, why I hope people listen to this episode. Here's us talking about it, and it's like, oh, let me go check it out. Yeah, because, I mean, we were harners. You know, we were harners. I remember being in Barnes & Noble reading Fangoria and, uh-huh. like, reading about it, and, like, that's a cool concept, you know? Right. I, just, I mean, don't go into it expecting, like, a, you know, blood and gore fest, because you got to keep it in the back of your mind. This was edited for USA Network, and back yeah. in 2000, is the big difference between USA Network in 2000 versus USA Network in 2021, because, yeah. prime example, last night on USA, they premiered Chucky. And I don't know if you watched it or not. I did. Nah. F-bombs and gore galore throughout the whole thing. It's like they don't even care. The, the censorship is pretty much dead. It's crazy what they get a, uh, get away with nowadays. Like yeah. The Walking Dead and stuff. Yeah. It's I was kind of shocked at some of the things that were said last night watching Chucky when I got home from that screening. I was like, whoa, okay. We're doing this. Okay. Uh, so my number one, right? Is that where we are? Yep. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So kicking off my number one scream, or my my favorite post scream <laughs> slasher scream, yeah. Urban Legend. <laughs> Great minds do think alike. My number one, Urban Legend. Yes. So let's talk about Urban Legend for a minute. I mean, that is if you're talking about scream influence, that is to me the most scream influenced. Absolutely. I, I, I love the idea of an axe wielding Eskimo killer with you know going around doing it. Like urban legends, yeah. The young cast, yeah. Jared Leto, Joshua Jackson. You had Tara Reid. Yeah, it was a solid before cast, Tara yeah. Reid became Tara Reid. Um, you had uh, a lot of people in there. Loretta Devine was the, the security guard. A lot of stuff um, going on in that movie. Uh, Alicia Witt. Uh, anyway, uh, Brad Dorf. I'm I, I'm done. So. <laughs> I mean, I remember seeing that movie opening night in the theater. My mom went and talk, took me and my brother and Ian Paxton, who was a previous guest on the Our Thing episode. Ian, huh. me and Ian, the intention, I remember this night so well. Me and Ian could not wait to see this movie. 
So the game plan was mom was going to drop us off, buy our tickets, you know, the way you and I used to do it with your your mom. Right. Well, I guess at that time, the theater wised up and they pretty much made it where the parent had to watch the film with the, they, the child. Yeah, the theaters seemed like they would randomly crack down, like somebody Well, this particular night, they and were- And then they would they, crack down. Yeah, they were cracking down pretty bad this night. And so, it was- I remember it being like the 8th, 30, 9 o'clock show, so it wasn't like we could get tickets because it was almost sold out. My mom got the tickets. She ended up saying, she had Andrew with her, and she ended up buying four tickets. And her and Andrew and me and Ian, all four of us went to that theater. This was a month after Halloween H2O came out. I I bring that up for a very specific reason after I've done this part. And we saw the film. My mom and Andrew sat up front because it was almost, it was pretty much sold out. So my mom and Andrew sat up front. And me and Ian scattered up to the balcony seat, not balcony, but the you know the stadium seats. Yeah. And we just we didn't sit next to each other. We just found two random open spots and sat there and watched the film. And after we came out, after after we got out and we were driving home that night, because I think Ian crashed with me, my mom said the words, "I like that a lot better than Halloween H two O." <laughs> and I'll never forget that for as long as I live. Yeah, I can see that. I think they're pretty uh, comparable for me, uh, pretty close. I Again, this was one of those, when I heard about it, I was like, brilliant idea. Uh, just awesome. Yeah. And then the cast And how good. could they nosedive so hard with the sequel? Oh, I will my never God. understand. Yeah, that was pretty shit. Yeah, oh, God. That. Urban Legend Final Cut. Oh, my God, it's so bad. Um, But yeah, this, uh, Urban Legend is another one I want to revisit. I... You know, I haven't watched a lot of these slashers. Urban Legend I, has stuck with me a lot more than, like, Valentine has. So, but. Scream Factory also put out Urban Legend. I think Scream Factory's put out every film we've talked about on this list. Probably. Fact, hang on a second. It's Scream Factory. So. They have. Valentine, <laughs> they have a copy of it. Cherry Falls, they have a version of it. Halloween H2O, they have a version of it in that box set. I Oh, wait, I know you did last summer. They didn't do. No one's put out. Wham, I, I wham. know you did last summer. Never mind. I stand corrected. But anyway, uh, Urban Legend, the Scream Factory disc, has it's a two-disker because the second disc has a really, really nice two-hour in-depth documentary on the movie. And they got, like, the original cast back to interview them and stuff. And, like, they talk about the film, everything from pre-production to the release and everything. Like, definitely, you know, I implore you. If I know how you like to – you're a collector like me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Obviously, it's your number one. Make sure you check out soon. You know, treat yourself in the next couple months. <laughs> and uh, pick it up. It's, it's really good. All right. <clears throat> so, ready to talk about this movie? Yeah, yeah. I, it was really good rewatching it. Uh, you know, I hadn't seen it in so long. I'm glad I did it. But yeah, let's go. I Yeah, I, real quick before we get into it. I Same thing. I, I, I haven't watched the film from top to bottom in... Probably a couple years. It's it hasn't been that long, but it hasn't been recent. And it's like every time I watch this movie, I just I, I enjoy myself. I, I just you know it's the film has got it. The pacing is just right, and it's just not a bad film to kick back to and you know enjoy an hour and a half of your time. Yeah, uh, we'll get into it, but it's a yeah. lot better than I thought I, it was going to be. I thought it was going to be one of those where I had nostalgic memories and it was hard yeah right but no right, it holds right. up a lot better than i thought uh, but yeah I'm cool. excited here we do
Alright, so the film opens with a gorgeous, gorgeous flyover shot that goes over the ocean and cliffs, set the credits of the film, also set the type of negatives covering, uh, type of negative they're covering, uh, Ceiling Croft's Summer Breeze. Yeah, I love that cover, and the, the shot, I, I think Roger Ebert, uh, famously said it's the best shot of the movie, unfortunately it's the first shot of the movie. <laughs> it's, it, he's not wrong, it, it's, uh, beautiful flyover shot that's just really gets you into the film like it's it's it goes along that road that they're gonna you know have the event on and everything yeah, it gets you the into camera the, work is just stunning i love it yeah it gets you into the setting of the movie you're gonna be um in this fishing town you know it, it sets it up very well and it's yeah it's a cool way to introduce this into the movie yeah there's definitely in my notes too so this certain flyover shot ends on a man sitting over the cliff named david egan you see him upset over something. He's drinking while tinkering with a necklace that spins and says, I love you. And suddenly the fireworks go off nearby from the town's distance. So then we cut to the town of Southport, North Carolina, where the annual 4th of July celebration is happening and the Croker Festival with a, it's, it's the Croker Festival is going down. They got a parade going on and there's the Croker Queen competition where we're introduced to our leads, Julie, Ray, Barry, and Helen. Helen, who's participating in the pageant, while Ray and Barry uh, and Julie are up ahead on this balcony, uh, looking down, talking about her breast with Julie present. Yeah, that's a little odd. Um, so yeah, we got Julie's. Julie's played by Jennifer Love Hewitt. Helen is Sarah Michelle Gellar. Barry is Ryan Felipe. Ryan Felipe, and uh, Ray is Freddie Prince Jr. So. Growing up, were you a big Freddie Prince Jr. fan? <laughs> Can't say I was. Never a big fan. I like not, uh, not a big Summer Catch fan. No, no, never really liked any of his movies. I, I liked Ryan uh, Felipe because I liked uh, Cruel Intentions back uh, a year after this. That was I still really like good. Cruel Intentions. I still watch that movie yeah. and smile because it's just it's so bizarre. I can't believe a studio of picture came out of that magnitude in the late nineties. So. Yeah. Yeah, and so, it's still, and it's, you know, everyone loved that movie when it came out. Let me tell you something. Was, when Cruel yeah. Intentions came out in, in, like, February of 1999, it was an event. It was. Yeah. It was a lot of people going to the theaters for that one. I saw it with uh, my buddy Venker's brother and uh, a couple of girls uh, from the neighborhood. The four of us went one night. It was a late show. Joe wasn't there, obviously, just his brother Carl cannot remember why joe wasn't there but he wasn't <laughs> and yeah so uh and i've been a fan since i i, I bought i bought the blue of uh, the dvd and you know I've, I've watched the film collectively about 10 times i want to say over the years and uh that's a good number that's, that's that means i like it and you know it's ironically enough that you know our two leads here are the two le- two leads in that one yeah. sarah michelle Geller, ryan felipe and Sarah Michelle Gellar would, ironically enough, go on to marry Freddie Prince Jr. famously. I know, yeah, that is funny how it all worked out. And you know what I thought about watching this again, this movie? Her- Helen and Ray don't have any scenes together, like, dialogue-wise. They don't talk to one another. There's no conversation exchanged between the two characters at all in this movie. It's all Ray talking to Julie or Barry. Ray and Helen never interact with one another. Yeah. And they're the ones who get married in real life, so. That is kind of funny. 
But yeah, I was also a huge fan of Sarah Michelle Gellar from Buffy. I liked Buffy. Uh, never watched then. Buffy. Never got into it. That was a good show, especially for the time. Yeah, uh, everyone loves Buffy. I just, I don't know. It wasn't for me. So, in the spirit of Mother Teresa, what would be your commitment to the small community? That's the question that Helen's asked uh, for this beauty pageant. And, you know, she gives a bullshit answer like they always do, and she ends up winning. So yeah. then afterwards, we cut to the, the, the... There's a party going down outside with the band Southern Culture on the skids playing My Baby's Got the Strangest Ways. We're, we're quickly introduced to uh, Helen's big sister, Elsa, who's played by Brigitte Wilson. Veronica Vaughn. I said Brigitte. It's Bridget. Bridget Wilson. Veronica Vaughn. This so hot. Yeah. Want to touch the Heidi? Oh! This could be our milk. <laughs> no milk will ever be our milk. <laughs> oh, shit. We could sit here and quote Billy Madison all day long. So, you know, also, she was in uh, Mortal Kombat. Yeah, Sean's Sean favorite, Sean's favorite movie. Yeah, I know. that's right. Sean loves some fucking Mortal Kombat. <laughs> and you guys can listen to that previous episode to hear Sean rant and rave for a couple hours on how much he loves Mortal Kombat, specifically <laughs> Bridget Wilson in Mortal Kombat, who famously played Sonya Blade, who was replaced at the last minute uh, re- uh, as a... Re- she replaced um, Cameron Diaz uh, for that movie. But that's a tidbit for that episode. Again, you can hear more information on Mortal Kombat in our episode from back in April where we covered Mortal Kombat. So yeah, uh... Helen and Elsa, big sister, little sister, they don't like each other. They're, you know, natty. So Julie's childhood friend Max, who's played by Johnny Galecki, is uh, introduced. He's trying to say goodbye to Julie. Julie's uh, leaving town, I should uh, mention, to go to college in the fall. So Max here, he's pretty consistent about, uh, about you know, going out with him and saying goodbye. And she tries blowing him off. Barry barges in with shots, essentially starting a physical confrontation with Max in the process. Brought your shooter on the house. Oh, thanks, Max, but you know what? I have this mental block. I can't get past the slime. <laughs> How about I take you out before you leave town? You know, kind of a bon voyage thing. Oh, uh... You know what? I, I, don't, I don't think so, Max. We've been friends since forever. Now, you can't just leave without a farewell, right? Right. A toast to us. To our last summer of immature, adolescent decadence. <laughs> Somebody's buzz. <laughs> Yo, chum bait. Take a hike. Yeah, you can tell Max is pretty desperate. Uh, you know, I felt bad for him. I identified He's a lot like with that. Max. Yeah. He's like the the childhood friend of Julie's who's always been on the friend zone and like it's yeah, just it's driven it's driven him crazy to the point where like yeah, here we have you know, he's pretty he's pretty, you know, persistent on her going out with him instead of, you know, with her friends and her boyfriend who are obviously right there present. He just thinks that he can just convince her to ditch all of them and go out with him the night before she heads out. No. Doesn't quite work like that. No. Um, so yeah, they take off and head to Dawson's Beach together. Dawson's Beach. Yeah, I was gonna say, a little uh, Easter egg there. Dawson's Creek, Dawson's Beach. Because Dawson's Creek, Dawson's Creek would premiere, I believe, three months after this film came out. Because I yeah. think Dawson's Creek came out in January of 98, whereas this came out in October 97. So yeah, Dawson's Beach. I've always liked that trivia. I've always noticed that. From, like, even 
back as kids watching this, I was always like, oh, Dawson, I get it. So Ray's, uh, they're all sitting around a campfire, or a fire on the beach, and Ray's telling everyone a scary story about the uh, urban legend with the killer with a hook for a hand. Uh, Ray's mixing it up. He's mixing up details. Barry tries correcting him. Everyone pretty much chimes in with various ways that they've heard the story. Yeah, it's an urban legend. Everybody has their own, uh, you know, take on it pretty much. Yeah, I mean, it's a, you know, pretty important story that ties into the plot, so I get yeah. it. And the couples afterwards split up and enjoy their times together. Helen and Barry are uh, making out with Helen describing their uh, fucked up toxic future together while uh, Julie and Ray are having sex for the first time apparently on the beach. Um... Uh, yeah, not a, not a place I want to have sex for the very first time. Not a place I want to have sex, period, is a beach. Nah. <laughs> nah. Sorry, sorry, Hoss. So, on the car ride home, Barry's clearly shit-faced. So, when Julie and Ray are enjoying the time and drive together, Barry gets pissed and turns up the music before standing up to the sunroof and yells, and that, yeah. cranking up my money boss tunes, wake-up call, a, a song to this day I cannot find anywhere. Oh, wow. It's, it was never released on any of their albums. Um, I think it was a B-side somewhere. I've always streamed it. I've never been able to. Even even the company, like Spotify and Apple Music, you can't find this song. Huh. You have to uh, go to YouTube and, and, and listen to it that way. So uh, Anyway, this is where I wrote in my notes about the 90s soundtrack. <laughs> it just takes me back. Like The soundtrack, uh, you already mentioned it, but the soundtrack to this yeah. movie was great. I, I, I owned I Actually, I owned the soundtrack to both these movies, this one and the sequel. And <laughs> that's I remember, about the only thing I would want to own out of that sequel. But yeah, I <laughs> know. Yeah, um, we'll get on that. We'll get around that episode no, these I know. days. I know. So yeah, the, the soundtrack, uh, coolest shaker had the 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 hush cover. Um, the type of negative summer breeze cover was also on there. The southern culture on the skid song was also on there. Um, Unfortunately, like I said, the aforementioned Money Money Boss Tunes Wake Up Call song was not on the soundtrack. And in fact, I bought the soundtrack thinking that was going to be on there. And boy, <laughs> was I let down. And um, um, real quick, before we move on, um, I just wanted to bring up, so uh, I didn't know this at the time, but this was based off of a book. And um, actually, the hook killer, the whole story they're talking about, plays into the movie, but the book actually didn't have any of that. They didn't no, have a we're hook gonna killer. Talk about it. We're gonna, okay, we're going to talk I, about it. I read it. the book. So okay, we're, you we're gonna, have. Yeah, okay. we're going to talk about I the book uh, later on. Okay, gotcha. And the one song that really got me into the soundtrack was the All Lady P song, Clumsy. Oh, yeah. No clue why it's on the soundtrack. It's not in the movie. It has nothing to do with the movie. But, hey, man, All Lady Peace, they were hot in 97. So oh. let's throw that fucking song yeah. on there. We were big and fans. And I was glad. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm still a fan of All Lady Peace. Um, so, yeah. Uh, where are we at? Um, uh, Philippe going out of the sunroof. Ray's okay. yelling, belligerent, drunk. Um... He's got a bottle. Um, he drops the bottle down into his car, which distra- distracts Ray, who suddenly hits somebody. Uh, a motion that would have killed Barry in real life. Oh, yeah. It that body would have fucking killed him. It would have annihilated him, yeah. yeah. It, I mean, it, the speed they were going, the fact that the body goes up and like hits him because he has blood all over himself, and he's like, it's not mine. Yeah, he would be like decapitated, or like <laughs> his torso would be like spine would be broke. Yeah, it, they so they they stopped to investigate this mess. Ray's got someone else's blood on him, like I said, and and Barry's concerned about his car and nothing else. Yeah, he's a dick. Yeah. Uh, plays him very well on this, but yeah, I forgot how much of a dick he is <laughs> yeah. until I rewatched this. Meanwhile, Julie finds a boot on the side of the road after assuming they hit an animal. And eventually they discover a body on the side of the road. So Barry wants to leave immediately. 
genius, Barry, really genius. And Ray mentions manslaughter. That ain't happening. So he mentions tossing the body. Ray mentions the currents being strong, and the undertow would carry him out to the sea. Ray's basically on board with dumping this body. Everyone's yeah. on board except for Julie. Ray comes to Julie with the argument that he's got no one to turn to. He doesn't have a family. He'll he'll they'll lock him up and throw away the key, and he'll have no way to defend himself. He doesn't have anyone to turn to. Right, he's not rich. And so he's yeah. like, please, let me just get out of this. Help us ditch this body. And, and eventually they convince her, but after much resistance and hesitancy, she's not really on board with it and you know can't blame her as she shouldn't be i'm a little surprised ray because he's kind of supposed to be like your every man in this i'm a little surprised yeah. he's so quick to go along with it i'm not surprised by um, it's a movie it's a, it's a, it's 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 ray being selfish and it's it's not a typical thing that you see much of in this film with, with that character because i feel like the character of ray is not really one who looks out for himself number one the way barry would yeah uh but in this particular moment yeah because he's scared and so when you're scared you're going to think irrationally, and when you have options the way they do, then, yeah, you're going to take it, and uh, it's not the right way to go, obviously, no. but, you know, like I said, that's, that's, that's why he does it, ultimately, because he's scared. No, I get it, but I mean, I, you know, I understand Helen and Barry being quick to say, uh, you know, dump him, oh, yeah. and then, um, you know, obviously... Um, Julie is um, against it the whole time, but I was a little surprised with Ray. I thought, it, you know, I thought I remembered it being a little more convincing uh, for him to go along with the plan. But right. no, he's right there. He's like manslaughter. Yeah. Nope. Uh-uh. <laughs> exactly. Get him out of here. He's noping the fuck out. <laughs> so before the group can convince Julie to participate in this plan, Max pulls up. So they got to distract his ass and blow him off in order to proceed with dumping the body. So, Max is acting really strange and arrogant towards both Julie and Ray in this moment. She, he's talking yeah. to Julie first, and he's, like, asking, you know, she talks about how Barry's, you know, sick, and got to a minor accident, and he's like, Daddy's gonna be mad. And then Ray <laughs> shows up, and he's like, can we help you? And he's like, you can start by wiping that my shit don't stinky grin off your face. And he's like, we'll do, Max. <laughs> have a good night. We'll be seeing you. Yeah. And he's like, you always got that schoolboy look down just right. I mean, you gotta think Max it's is jealous of Ray. You know? I understand, but like, it it just it just comes off as a different kind of character from the one that we met five minutes ago or ten minutes ago, whatever it yeah, was. Yeah, I can see it's a you little know what inconsistent. I mean? yeah. He's really dark and kind of like ominous, kind of like a suspect. Did he see something he shouldn't have seen? Could he be uh you know could he be one of the um, suspects to be the fisherman later on? Who knows? So that's kind of what they're setting up here. And so, yeah, they, they, he eventually leaves. Um, and then they go to the, the small pier. They drive the body down to this pier. And uh, Julie wants to check the wallet of the body to see who he is before they dump him. Which Barry, is smart. Yeah. <laughs> but Barry says, pretend he's a lunatic with a hook for a hand and they're doing everybody a favor. So Ray suddenly can't help. So we got that goal for Ray. When he comes yeah. down the brass tacks. He kind of locks up and is like, oh, I can't do it. Yeah. Which leaves Helen the one to step in, and she helps Barry uh, dump the body. Well, before they can do so, the body comes to life and grabs Helen's tiara before the, it goes into the water. So Barry's, you know, pissed. He's got to go in after it. He does pretty quick. He goes inside, he dives into the water, and retrieves it. And as he does so, 
the eyes open up. Yep. Now, I remember this scene freaking me the fuck out when yeah. we saw it in the theater. It's a good like, jump scare. Because yeah. you kind of knew it was going to happen, but then, like, just seeing, like, the up close, the, the, the close shot of his eyes, like, being closed, and they open up all of a sudden. And then, like, Barry freaks out and swims up to uh, the, the, the top of the water. And then, like, while he's swimming up, you just see the body just staring up into the sky from the, from the bottom right. of the water. I just want to say, how is he floating like that? Like, because, uh, you know, he's still alive and he's just kind of floating like Jason at the bottom of Crystal Lake in that scene. Like when Barry's swimming over to get the tiara. I don't know. I just thought it was a little odd when I was rewatching it. I was like, you float. Like, unless you're dead, I guess, but in waterlogged. But I don't know. He was just float. He's not floating. He's doing the exact opposite of floating. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. He's he's stuck at the bottom like Voorhees at Crystal Lake. Exactly. It was just a little odd to me. Like, I I know why they did it, but yeah, it was it was just a little funny looking. So they make a pact that they'll all take the events of the night to their graves. Julie's pretty mum on the issue, so Barry physically grabs her and makes her say out loud that she'll take this to her grave. Ray tells her it'll be okay and gives him and she gives him a very cold look. Let's get out of here. We're going home now. And never, ever, under any circumstances known to God, speak about this again. Is that clear? It is now merely a future therapy bill, agreed? Ellie! I'll never mention it again. We make a pact. Right here and now we take this to our grave. Agreed. Julie? Don't you noise your head, you fucking say it! Yeah, okay. We take this to our grave! Let me hear it! Let it go, Barry! You fucking say it! Okay, Barry, we take this to the grave. It'll be okay. Good job, Ray. Good job sticking yeah. in, stepping in and defending your girl when she's physically attacked. I literally wrote, he's a pussy. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, Ray is a pussy. He really is. So we cut to one year later, and Julie's finishing up work in her dorm at college with her roommate coming in to uh, make her leave because summer break, and she's driving her home, and she's like, you know, making goofy-ass comments like, we're going to, you're going to take, what did she say? going to get some sun and take care of that pasty pale tail of yours yeah i think that's what she says something like that like yeah they're, they're trying to make Get jennifer sun. yeah yeah they're trying to make jennifer love hewitt look like a little rundown or something like that <laughs> you know i want to i'm gonna come out the gates now and, and bring that up i'm glad you said something because something i've always noticed about this movie is you get kind of like two versions of jennifer love hewitt because you know we get the j-lo that we just endured for the first 15-20 minutes of the film before the body dump. Then when we cut to one year later and all, she's at college and then she goes home and pretty much the events of the movie after that, when we cut to the one year later mark, she's like her hair's all like straight and greasy looking. Like it, it just looks like she just is, she's seen better days. Her hair's just boring and, and, and long and straight and it just looks like she doesn't do anything with herself. She's wearing, like, just overalls. Like, she doesn't, like, 
She doesn't care, you know? No, and then it gets into it, too, that she's having a rough time at school. Like, yeah, you can definitely tell that the events ha- um, are weighing on her, you know, and change right. her. Right, so, you know, Julie gets dropped off at home, and then we see her with her mother. It's a very awkward and cold-slash-bitter relationship between the two. Um, Mom tries breaking the ice during dinner by asking if she's on drugs. A very awkward out there moment. I remember watching this for the first time like, wait, what just happened? Yeah, it's a little odd. She's like, out of nowhere, like, are you on drugs? And she's just like, what? Like, Joey's just as confused as we are as the watcher, or as the viewer. Um, so, we find out, like you said, Joey's failing in school. She hasn't visited from home, which, like, who doesn't go home for, like, the holidays? But right. obviously she's running, you know. So all mom can do is pretty much leave a note that she got in the mail from Julie that reads, I know what you did last summer with a very particular handwriting. Very neat handwriting. Yeah, very neat. <laughs> I'll say that. Very neat. Uh, but it doesn't have a return address, so it can't be traced to anyone. So later that night when Julie's uh, by the window, the wind picks up and we hear the sound of that spinning necklace that David Egan in the beginning was tinkering with, the spinning one. It makes like a ding sound <clears throat> like a ding sound yeah you hear it throughout yeah it's like and a you nice hear it here sting, yeah you i just recently noticed that i never watched noticed it growing up watching this that like when she's julie's out at, at nighttime julie's sitting by the window holding the note we hear the wind blowing curtains and everything are all open but then we hear the ding yeah i noticed it more too because i was sitting with my you know dad uh it's headphones freaky. on it's at night. freaky yeah. man it really is man so Julie goes to Shivers. Shivers is a convenient, not convenient. Shivers is a department store that uh, Elsa and Helen's parents run. That Elsa, uh, no, own that Elsa's running. Got, got that? Yeah. Shiver being the last name of Elsa. Okay. So Julie goes there to contact Elsa about how to reach out to Helen. Turns out Helen is no longer in New York, but rather working in the women's fragrance department with her sister. She said that New York really didn't work out after going for a while. And uh, Julie shows her the note and says that somebody knows. I just got to say, she gave up pretty quick. I mean, it's only been a year. I'm like, man, you're really expecting overnight success there, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. She doesn't look as beaten down as Julie does. No, she doesn't. She still looks kept up, which is kind of why I have an issue. I'm like, I know the whole reason that, you know, is the guilt is what's ruining all their lives. Except right. for Barry, pretty right. much. Yeah. But, he don't uh, give a shit. Yeah, he don't care. But, you know, she still looks pretty good, but maybe because she's a little bit more vain, she keeps that up, but... I think that's what it is. Yeah, yeah that's probably what it is, but, <laughs> yeah, she... I just thought it was funny. Yeah, New York didn't work out. I was there for a couple months, you know. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Enjoy the sights. <laughs> so the girl is going to Barry to see if he knows anything. It's revealed here that Barry and Helen have since broken up, and Barry tells them the note is nothing but a crock of shit before telling them that they both, indeed, look like shit. Uh, or in fact, look like shit. Yeah, and Barry looks just the same, is acting just the same as yeah. before. You can Nothing's tell changed. it doesn't weigh Nothing's on him at all. changed, nope. This is nothing. I know what you did last summer. Ooh, what a crock of shit. We need help. Yeah, I'll say. You know what, you guys should check out a mirror once in a while. You two look like shit run over twice. You're a prick. We can't just ignore it. Come on, Julie. How do you know this is even related? You did a lot of things last summer. Yeah, well, only one murder comes to mind. You shut the hell up! (laughs) 
We didn't murder anyone. He was still alive when we dumped him in the water. Do we have to rehash this? It was an accident. The guy was in the middle of the road. His name was David Egan. Who? David Egan. He was found three weeks after we... His body was caught in a shrimp net not far from Miller's dock. It was in the paper. I think the police called it an accidental drowning. You can call it an accident all you want, but he died because of us, that's certain. So when Julie mentions only one murder comes to mind, Barry yells at her and tells her to shut the hell up. So Julie then reveals that his name was David Egan and his body was discovered in a fishnet a few weeks after dumping him. So Barry asks if Ray's seen the note, but Julie doesn't know. Barry asks if Ray's seen it, but Julie doesn't know. So uh, she also mentions that the, she also mentions that they're broken up, and uh, the two no longer talk. Yeah. So Barry then thinks about Max. So then we see Barry go to Max, and uh, Max is working at the shipyard uh, as as a crabber. Is that the way? The, is that the yeah, proper term? Yeah, it's a crab processing. Yeah. Yep. And he asks to talk in private, so they go to the back, and Barry attacks Max right away and tells him that he got their letter. He says that he saw them that night. He then threatens to kill Max with a hook that he grabs off the, the piece of ice, the ice block. And uh, the hook scratches Max, as he Barry, and then Barry goes and leaves. And uh, It's a really brief encounter. Yeah. Little, little, little tuffle, little scratch, and then he's gone. So Max then grabs the hook after Barry leaves and tells Barry not to... Don't you test me, motherfucker! I'll, <laughs> I'll come something about your college quarterback, your co- college quarterback ass. Uh, the three then visit Ray, who's uh, at the shipyard. He says that he's been a fisherman for nearly a year. As Barry wishes everybody a nice life, and then leaves. So long, Mary. We'll see you soon. Ray asks Julie if she uh, has a minute. So Helen leaves because you know Ray and Helen don't have any time together. <laughs> yeah. So Ray says that he knows Julie holds her responsible for what happened last summer, but she but uh, she said she doesn't. She uh, she says she doesn't, but she doesn't want to know him either, and then walks away dramatically. Yeah, and that's it. Abrupt ending to this scene. So then we get Max's death scene. So Max is in the back doing his crab thing, and there's like a lot of mist and and uh, steam in front of him, and you can see the shadows of someone like. Wearing a slicker, you know, naturally walking around, and then we eventually see the guy in the slicker, the fisherman, have you, and uh, comes over and hooks Max under the jaw. I've always thought yeah. this was a brutal kill, it, an it's, obvious reshoot. Yeah, it's brutal looking, but you don't really see it the way it's shot. But yeah, that he definitely sells it like the way he twitches and the way he gets pulled over right, the ice. That, all like, you need it, to sell is well. that two second shot of him with the blood coming out of his chin and yeah. the hook in his fucking mouth. Oh, brutal. But yeah, Too bad the rest of the film's not like this. I know. I forgot how tame this movie is with the kills. Very tame. Yeah. But we do get Max's death and it's anything but tame. Yeah, I always felt bad for Max. I know, I I mean, I, I don't know if you're going to go into it, but, you know, obviously this was added, um, you know, later. This was a reshoot. This was. This was, this was a additional scene because it wasn't bloody enough. Yeah. There's not, the, the body count wasn't high enough. So no, they, they wanted... They, they killed off Max. They wanted to establish the threat, you know, be, uh, of yeah. the fisherman it's, a little they, bit earlier. It, it, it was, it was kind of like more directed towards the book where it's more drama-oriented and not horror-themed, like obviously the film's going for. Because the, the book, again, this isn't the part we're going to talk about, it, that, that's coming up later on, but until, you know, 
just a little spoiler alert to hold you over until then, a little tidbit. Um, the book's not really a horror book at all. It's, a, it's like a drama. No, it's like a drama so. about dealing with guilt and yeah. stuff like that, yeah. So, we got, later on that night, Barry goes to Southport Muscle and works out. And he's this is where we hear the coolest shaker, Hush cover. And he's working out, hitting the body bag, or the body bag, hitting the punching bag and shit, and uh, doing his thing. And then uh, he gets a uh, Polaroid. He goes into the, he comes back to his locker, and there's a Polaroid that says "I know," and it's it's a picture of his car that's outside. Real nice car. I don't know what kind of car he drives. I'm not a big car guy. I think it was a Beamer, but I could. Be I want to say it's a Beamer as well. It's either a Beamer or it's a Beamer. Fuck it. For the story, <laughs> for for the episode of the podcast sake, it's a Beamer. So, he, like, goes out. He asks the guy, at the, the old man at the door, if anybody else is there. And he's like, nope, just you and me, partner. And then he hears this car turn on, so he runs outside. And uh, the fisherman backs up his car all the way up the road. And Barry's chasing him, of course. And then he stops. And then head beams come, headlights come on. And boom! Car going after Barry. Barry's just running in a straight line, kind of going swerve, swerve, trying to avoid it. Yeah. But he ends up going for a ride, man. He this car hits him, picks him up, and just takes him through a bunch of like barrels and debris and shit. Oh yeah. Yeah, he would probably be paralyzed or, you know, in the hospital long term. Yeah, you you wouldn't have life. a few scratches and a broken arm. You'd be fucking dead. So, Julie, Ray, and Helen go to visit Barry at the hospital, collectively guessing who it could have been. Barry brings up Ray, owning a slicker, and Helen mentions the, the name David Egan. So, Ray wants to prove to everyone that Max is the one who did this, but everyone isn't buying it just yet. Helen and Julie are searching old newspaper articles at Julie's uh, uh, Julie's place and on her laptop. This is where we're introduced to Anne Hache, who plays David's sister, Missy. Can I help you? Oh, um, hi. Uh, our car stalled down the road, and we were just wondering if maybe we could use your phone. Phone's over there. Oh, thanks. Um, Jody. Will you call AAA? You got it. Angela. (gasps) 
I know. I completely forgot she was in this movie. Oh, not uh, me. She. Uh, the one thing I always take from the, the, the one thing I'll always take from this movie is it's the slasher with Anne Hache. She's in like two throwaway scenes. This and later on, actually, might yeah. be three. But yeah, she's uh This was a time when Anne Hache was in a little bit of controversy because this was the. This is where she came out as uh, Alan DeGeneres' partner. Right. And, like, you know, late 90s, the whole idea of being gay or just gay celebrities in general was, like, different. It wasn't yeah. quite frowned upon. It was more of, like, it was, like, gossip. Yeah, it was... A it was lot a big people- deal. It was a big thing. I remember watching the Ellen episode where she came out. Yeah, it was, you know, a lot... Everybody knew that... Uh, People, certain people were like that, but it wasn't talked about as much. People weren't op- as open about it um, as they are today, and it's not as it wasn't as accepted as it is. Today. Right, right, right. Yeah. So yeah, Anne Hache is in this as uh, David Egan's sister, Missy. Uh, she's got this old like old house out in the woods. You get like some Sawyer vibes from this. A like, bit. She should be in Texas or something like bit. that. That's kind of that's kind of how I thought. I was like, she bit. would fit right in in this and, character in this house. And I think that was the aesthetic they were going for, you know, especially with the, the production and everything. They want they wanted to look like, or at least resemble like the Sawyer house from, from uh, Texas Chainsaw. So, they're, they're there faking a car mishap and they asked to use Missy's phone. So Helen and Julie go inside to do so using the fake names Jody and Angela because they were talking about Silence of the Lambs going to um, driving to Missy's house. Okay, yeah, I didn't catch that. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. where the names come from because Jody, Jody Foster, yeah. and then Angela is Angela uh, Lansbury because they were talking about like a mi- mixture of uh, Silence of the Lambs and a uh, murder she wrote. Oh, okay. So while Helen calls AAA, Julie uses this opportunity to ask Missy questions and befriend her a little bit while looking around the house. Helen comes back and tries saying that David used to hang with someone, but they can't figure out what his name was. Like they're just trying to get Missy to like spit out a name. Like, yeah. you know, we know your brother. He was hanging out with this one guy. Can't remember his name though. Come on, Missy. You got what do you got for us? Anything? Yeah. And she she tells him that. uh an old friend stopped by named Billy Blue, who was a charm, but uh, he had to leave early. It was kind of an awkward encounter, she admits to. My name is Missy Egan. Are you girls from Maribel? Oh, Southport. Oh, I went to Southport High. Yeah, I, I knew you looked familiar. What, what year? Uh, class of 88. Your name, Egan, sounds very familiar. Did you have a, a brother or something? I did, but he was younger than me, David. Younger. What class was he? Uh, 92, but he's dead. He died last July. I'm, I'm so sorry. Thanks. Do, do you, uh, do you live alone? <laughs> yeah, I do. Uh, well, my dad died a long time ago. My mama, she's in a home, you know, in Aurora, because she didn't take too, too well to what happened with David. Things just haven't been the same since he died. They're on their way. I could, uh, I could make you guys a cup of tea while you're waiting. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. That's, that's nice of you.
You know, I think I remember David. He had a friend, right? What was his name? Who? Didn't he hang out with this guy? I mean, they were really close. God, what was his name? Um... Oh, I, I, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't know too many of David's friends. Oh. But there, there was one guy. One guy. He, he stopped by not too long after David's death, and, and he came to pay his respects. Really? Oh, yeah, he was a really nice guy. He was cute and smart and... Well, we were we were sweet on each other for about two minutes, but it didn't it didn't work out. You know, he he, didn't, he never really said it, but I think it hurt him to be around me. Where's this old friend now? Oh, I don't, I don't know. Do you remember his name? Billy. Did he have a last name? Blue, Billy Blue. Yeah, and it was like an interrogation. Like, they were definitely grilling uh, Anne Hage a little bit. Oh, absolutely. In this scene. Absolutely. It was absolutely. a little obvious. <laughs> uh, so then Julie drops Helen off at her house. And this is the incident where Helen gets stalked by the fisherman. She goes in. Uh, the fisherman comes in her house. Just right there in front of the screen. Clear as day. There's the fisherman. No fucks given. Comes in. Goes upstairs while she goes and goes to the kitchen and, and, and her father, I believe, is, uh, I think he's passed out watching baseball. Yeah, he's like watching baseball. She's getting a drink and he just, uh, heads upstairs. Because as she turns to go up the steps, you see him just turn to go into her room. So she goes up the stairs, goes into her room. Obviously, he's not there. So she ends up going to sleep and then she wakes up the next morning with her tiara on her head, number one. Number two, her hair all over the place. It was all cut up. And number three, I know, written on her mirror in lipstick. This is the big Sarah Michelle freakout moment, mind you. Yeah, I don't buy that this uh, guy is going around doing this. Like, I don't know. After he's revealed later, he seems like a no-nonsense type killer. I don't buy that he'd be, like, just kind of fucking with these people. You don't think Ben Willis would channel his inner barbershop and uh, cut up? No, I know why it's done, because she's very vain. She's a beauty queen, but I don't know. I I think it happens in the book, too. I think think this moment happens in the book. Yeah. And, I haven't read it in 25 years. So. And it's not super impactful anyway, because she wears a hat for like one scene, and then after that, her hair looks fine. She <laughs> gets done so. up for the, the, the uh, recital or whatever it is. Yeah. The, the, the croaker queen thingy. Yeah. So... Yeah. Screams, breaks the mirror out of anger and frustration, and then Julie's shown rushing to, uh, rushing to Helen's house, but uh, she hears an odd sound coming from the trunk. So she stops 
and she goes, she opens up, she pops the trunk, and we see Max's corpse with, uh, just riddled with crabs. Yeah. Live crabs all over the place. Pretty active crabs making these noises. Got crabs coming out of Max's mouth. Got crabs all over the place. Which, yeah, I wrote Krabby Galecki because <laughs> I just Krabby Galecki. Kind of, I just thought it was kind of funny. But also, there's a little uh, mistake here because you see the crab coming out of his mouth. Well, he got hooked in the fucking jaw. Like, you don't see any kind of hole in his jaw. I actually, like, um, kind of freeze framed it and looked. That was kind of a oh, little right here. Oh, yeah, the chin. Yeah, I didn't see any of that. It, he huh. just looked normal because the, they make it a point to draw your attention to his mouth because you see the crab coming. Crab out. comes out. Yeah, exactly. And that's when I noticed it, and I thought it was an odd thing that they did huh. that, but didn't realize that he didn't have the uh, mark I, under his chin. Never noticed that. Interesting. So yeah, she goes and runs in to get everyone else to come out. The you know, like, hey guys, I got a dead body in my trunk. Check it out. Yeah. And they come. She pops the trunk nothing not only is it empty it's clean but it is fucking clean as hell i know they should have at least made it like a little wet maybe a little seaweed or a crab or something in there so this is probably the most talked about scene in the film over the last 25 years of, ex- of its existence <laughs> and i i'm of the opinion after watching this for my 30th time whatever it is that it's mind games yes but i mean It's an air. I don't know. Something's got to give here. I mean, it looks just. It ain't. You can't. I, I'm speechless. I can't even fucking come to grips with what the hell happened here. Yeah, it's so because quick. Because it is so quick, and it's like. I think the thing that gets me the most is not the fact that it's empty, it's how clean it is. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's just an odd moment. We're like- not talking about supernatural stuff, so it's not like he's an actual ghost. That won't happen until part three. <laughs> it's just not... It doesn't add up to, you know, the realism and the plot and the believability of the film. It's just weird. No, it's a little off. I get why they incorporated it, but I just... I don't know. I know. I was just waiting to see, like, a little fucking air freshener hanging up, too. Like, I had some time, you know, straightened up for you. Yeah. I heard five minutes was enough. So, obviously, nothing in there. Everyone's looking at Julie like, what the hell? And this is where Julie has the infamous, what are you waiting for? <laughs> what are you waiting for? Huh? Moment. You know what I'm talking about, audience. You know what I'm talking Everybody, about, Corey. Yeah. Everyone knows this fucking scene. Arms out, flailing your body around, doing 360s and 720s, and just yelling out into the open fucking sky. What are you waiting for? Huh? What are you waiting for? He took the body. He came here. He took the body. Why would he do that? I don't know, Barry. Okay, why would he try to run you over? Why did he make coleslaw on Helen's head? He's fucking with us. Come on, Julie. Let's go back to the house. Where's your jacket, Barry? Don't you see? He's got us now. Okay, this is exactly what he wants. We can't go to the police. Not now. He's made sure of that. He's just out there and he's watching us and waiting. What are you waiting for, huh? What are you waiting for? And you hear, your car's in the middle of the road. (laughs) Fucking move. (laughs) Waiting for someone to get all these fucking crabs out of the goddamn way. (laughs) So... They go to Barry's, I'm sorry, they go to Ray's, and Barry ends up punching Ray immediately at his house, and they start fighting over, uh, the, there's a, there's a, a letter, it says, I got a letter, 
And it's just like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, you got a letter, I got ran over. <laughs> it's like, Julie, yeah, hell got her hair cut off. Julie finds a dead body in a trunk. I get run over, and you find a letter? That's balanced. Um, yeah, so Ray's being set up uh, as a suspect so far, because you haven't spent uh, much screen no, time with no, him. No, not at all. Uh, so yeah, he's definitely being set up. And after Scream, you know, boyfriend being the killer, why not? Why not go down that road and see how it feels? So... Julie mentions that his name was Billy Blue, or he. Julie mentions his name being Billy Blue from the cat, the class of '92. Billy Blue from '92. Uh, when Helen says that her sister graduated in '92, so they go back to Helen's to go through her sister's yearbook. To uh, since it's it's July Fourth, I should also mention it's July Fourth now. Helen and Barry have parade commitments. So Julie decides to go to Missy by herself with the yearbook and see if she can point out Billy Blue, since it's not his real name, obviously. Right. Uh, so now we're at the Southport Parade with Helen on the Queen float with Barry sitting by her as they look around for the fishermen. Yeah, Barry's kind of like her bodyguard. I like guess. a protector, like, yeah, exactly. he's watching out for her. I mean, he really can't do much. He's got that castle on his arm and shit, so. Yeah. Helen... Finds someone walking away in a slicker and points him out to Barry. Barry immediately gets up and just hauls ass towards his figure and chases him down the pier, tackles him from behind. Turns it out, it's an old man. Yeah, he looks like he reminded me of the old man from Home Alone. Old man McCrary or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> looks like uh, he's about to die himself, actually. That face he's making. Like, <laughs> so, Barry lets him go and. Um, Helen's meanwhile on the float observing things without Barry around and she looks up and wouldn't you know the actual fisherman watching her down the top of a roof and he exposes his hook just kind of threatening her like taunting her like oh yeah this is all going to be yours soon yeah and I want to say Sarah Michelle Gellar when she sees him I think at that point just like her face just read oh I'm fucked <laughs> That's just what I got it's out like of the look scene. of doom, yeah. yeah. Um, so Julie goes to visit Missy, like I mentioned. Let's talk about Billy Blue. Missy said, uh, uh, Julie tells Missy that there's more about what happened to her brother uh, a year prior. But before Missy reveals David and Mid- uh before... Oh, this is, and then Missy reveals that uh, David actually committed suicide yeah. out of guilt for the death of his girlfriend, Susie Willis, Yeah, in a car accident. So she shows Julie David's suicide note. Uh, that handwriting matches everything to a T, and she realizes that it wasn't a suicide note, but a death threat. It says, I will never forget last summer, in the same handwriting as the note that she got in the mail. Right. So... Julie says they killed him last summer, and he had a tattoo that said Susie, but Missy dismisses this. It says that she's wrong. David didn't even have a tattoo. So things are starting to kind of come together, but they're still not. I remember seeing this with you in the theater, and I was still being confused as to what the hell was going on, who yeah. the killer was. Like I wasn't confused overall. I just didn't know who the killer was yeah. or what they were doing to point the killer out. 
I just want to say, like, wouldn't this is in the same town? So, like, wouldn't Julie, like, wouldn't they have heard about the car accident with Egan and his girlfriend being killed? I mean, I know they're a little bit older, but you would think if something happened in like a fishing town, like right. that, they would know about it. Right, like, right. It, it seems sense. like she's just learning about this right now. Yeah, uh, and good it point. just seems a little odd to me. Good point. Uh, so yeah, we're at the uh, Miss Croker pageant. Uh, Barry's up above on that overlook, uh, that loft. Yeah, the same balcony from the, the overhead. Yeah, same one from the beginning. We're talking about the breasts. This time it's just Barry by himself looking down. Um, so all of a sudden, Helen is just watching this uh, participant singing this karaoke song, whatever the hell it is. She looks up, sees the silhouette of the fisherman standing behind Barry, or at least approaching Barry. So she yells for Barry to look out, that the killer's there. Too late, we see Barry. Uh, we see flashes of the cam- The camera work cuts to moments of Barry uh, getting beat down and then eventually hooked by the fisherman. We see a really cool shot where there's like a shadow of his hook going up and down that yeah. I liked. And then meanwhile, Helen's downstairs trying to run towards the loft, but the audience is stopping her. Yeah, for some reason. This has always confused me. Like, why are they stopping her? Like, they yeah. don't even know her. Like, let her get outside. Like, you don't know her or what she's dealing with right now. It could be a f- real fucking health issue. Yeah. Don't, don't fucking stop her from, you know, going towards the back where she probably needs to go in that, that event. It's weird. I've, it's always, it's something that just, it's not a, a recent thing that's bothered me. Like, this has always bothered me. Like, why is everyone stopping her? Had that have not happened, uh, who knows? Barry could have gotten away with like maybe a, a one stab, one hooking, perhaps. But no, Barry's dead, uh, and Helen's trying to get go to him, but it's not happening. Uh, there's a cop present all of a sudden who comes out of nowhere, and he's gonna calm her down and take her home by himself. So, real quick though, yeah, so they sure. the, they go up on the balcony. The cop, I wrote yeah, like worst you. cop ever. They go up on the balcony. And, like, you can clearly see there's a little blood. Of course there would be, like, a shitload of blood up there, because literally Barry gets killed, and they go up there right after. So if you've been hooked several times, like that, stabbed with a hook, there'd be blood everywhere, but there's not. Of course the cop misses it. There's only a little bit of blood, but I'm just, like, worst cop ever. Like, how they just completely missed that. Yeah, he's played by actor Stuart Greer, who, um... I remember him from one of the more recent episodes of The Walking Dead before I stopped watching it. And he's a, he's a character actor who's been popping up in things from time to time. Um, so yeah. So where, uh, where are we at? And then, here? oh yeah, they, they gotta take uh, Sarah Michelle Geller's crown before she leaves too. They're like, oh, That's can I right. you? Can I get that crown? The director is like, I'm sorry about what just happened. <laughs> By the way, can we get that crown? <laughs> We're gonna need it for the new queen. Sorry. Thank you. And we see this cop now giving her a ride home, like I said. Uh, the main road has a, uh, it's blocked off, so you have to, they have to take a detour. They're in this alley, and there's a broken down car, and wouldn't you know it, there's, is it, I, we don't see no one at the scene, right? Or do we? When what is go, it? When the cop approaches the car, because I barely actually, uh, I was, wasn't paying my fullest attention to this moment when I was doing my notes. When she, when the cop stops in the alley and the car is broken down, we we find out that it's Fisher, it's the fisherman. Yeah. Like when he gets out of the car, like 
there's no one there, right? It's just a dummy or something. No, I no, get I there. get this scene, and I get a scene from I still don't, I no, still don't get that somewhere confused. You see the fisherman there? He's like okay. looking at his car, and then uh, Sarah, Sarah Michelle Gellar's like, "No, no, don't go." That's and the right. cop's like, "Yes, yes, yeah, it's okay. I'll just help him out." And then he goes up, starts talking to him, and, then and gets he hooked. gets hooked right in the gut. Yep. Okay, and this starts off the chase. Um. I fucking love this chase. I really do. This is, yeah. you know, this... Spoiler alert, finger looking good. <laughs> oh, mine. It's mine. Yeah. It's mine, for sure. Uh, this, this fucking chase is all over town. From this alleyway, we now follow her as she's being chased to her store, Shivers, where Elsa is closing up for the night. So Elsa lets her in at the last second. And when Elsa is going to the back to lock up, we already see the door closing slightly as she goes into the back room. So we know the fisherman got in already. And she goes and locks the back door and turns around. There's the fisherman. Briefly shows her the hook like, you about to die with this. Oh, yeah. And one swing and blood all over the window. Um, clearly we see her corpse in a little bit. You slash her throat. That's what happens here. Yeah, and the blood was added, uh, later. Originally, uh-huh. it was slashed, and you didn't see the blood, and I think they realized, ah, we're going a little too far. She got slashed, you would see a little bit of blood. You know, honestly, I forgot that, like, I thought this might have been PG-13 at first. When I was re-watching this, I was like, was this PG-13? Like, yeah, I mean, 13? All, language and some violence aside, I can understand, you know, the PG-13, definitely. Yeah. I mean, this episode actually coincides with the Amazon series that's a remake of this that premieres on the 15th. And it's the same, same thing with that. It's, I, I don't know, it's one of the... <clears throat> I kind of lost myself saying that. Um, so anyway, back on track here with the story. Uh, Julie, she finds an article that mentions Susie's father, Ben Willis. And realizes that Ben was the man that ran that they ran over moments after uh, he killed David to avenge his daughter. Yeah, and here's one thing. You know, I know they didn't identify him when they ran him over. But, okay, so they thought it was this Egan guy who was like a younger guy. But you can plainly fucking tell the guy they ran over was an older <laughs> right, dude. Right, right, So that's a little bit of a plot hole. I know they didn't identify him. But, like, even if he's fucked up and smashed up, you can tell the guy's, like, middle-aged versus... Uh, Egan, who's a little bit older than they are. Like, come on, guys. Really? You can't notice that shit? Yep. Oh, what am I doing? I, uh, so, Helen, still being chased. I forgot why. I don't even know why we got... Uh, it's because it's intertwined. It's showing the it? research okay, and okay, it's showing okay. the chase. Cool, cool, yep. cool, cool. So, yeah. So, let's just wrap up Helen's story here. So, Helen goes... Uh, she takes the... Um, What's that called? The bed. It was like a dumbwaiter. Dumbwaiter. Like, thank like you. It was for like dumbwaiter. That's though. what I was looking yeah. for. So she's like, there's a dumbwaiter moment where the, the the fisherman's trying to swing at her ankle. She's got to pull herself up. So she eventually jumps out of a window into this alleyway, and a killer chase proceeds to chase her. She makes it to the alleyway that takes her. This narrow alleyway takes her to the parade that's going on. So close. So close. What stops her? Fireworks. She stops to observe the fucking fireworks, and oh, when you know pretty. it, she turns around, and there's the goddamn fisherman right there, so close. Oh my god, Helen, you were so close. Yeah. 
and Helen gets got. You yeah. see that you see her trying to fight off for a moment, but it, it's just nope, ain't happening. But he, he gets her in that where those tires are and just swipe, 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 stab, stab, dead, dead. And uh, real quick, I wanted to go back. So during the chase, there was a good jump scare that got me. I remember it got me really good in the theater when the fisherman had the plastic over him and he kind of looked yeah, like a mannequin. This the silhouette. It's kind of it kind of reminds me of Halloween 2018. Yeah, with the Myers and the mannequins. Yeah, it got me really. I remember that distinctly from the theater. I I remember that jump scare. I remember it getting me really good. I right. I, I really like that part. All right, so we uh, Julie. She goes to the docks to tell Ray, uh, but he doesn't believe her. Uh, Joey notices that Ray's boat is called Billy Blue. Billy Blue, it's you. It's you. You're the you're you're, you're the fisherman. And mm-hmm. runs. Fisherman appears, knocks Ray unconscious, inviting Julie to hide on his boat. I'm sorry, a fisherman appears. So we find out this fisherman. This is Ben Willis. Yeah. Uh, on the boat, she sees pictures and articles about her and her friends. Pictures of Susie. Boat leaves the docks. Fisherman is revealed, like I said, to be Ben Willis says kids like you should be have should be out having fun drinking partying running people over <laughs> getting away with yeah. murder things like that you in some kind of trouble child yes yeah i'm in a lot of trouble that's a shame being it's 4th of July and all. Kids like you should be out having fun, drinking, partying, running people over, getting away with murder, things like that. You. Been lost. Good. I see you've been doing your homework too. So. We get this little brief... No, it's not really brief. We get this third act chase, but it's on a boat, and it's a, yeah. it's a fisherman's boat. It's not like we're on a yacht or a huge sail. It's a fucking boat. At least so but, many places, yeah. But, correct me if I'm wrong, once she goes inside into the whole, like, cooler part and everything, it looks a hell of a lot bigger than what the boat should be. I mean, obviously, they were on a set filming the interiors, but, yeah. like, it just... I've always felt that the interior of this boat didn't quite match the actual size of it. Because no. if we were going by the size that we see from the inside, this boat would be a lot more bigger than it actually is. No, it, like the boat is like this little crab boat, and then on the inside it's like the motherfucking deadliest catch, like huge yeah, ass boat. Right, like exactly. It doesn't quite add up. And, you know, it's like I'm, they're fucking out there chasing uh, Alaskan crabs and shit. And, I, you know, I'll just say it real quick. Like, I'm not the hugest fan of the climax on the boat. Like, it's not bad or anything, but it, I, I wish it's, it was a it's little fine. bit different. Yeah, it's, it's fine. It's just okay. It's fine. Uh, so, yeah, he's chasing around. She goes into the cooler here, and that's where she finds the, bar- the, the berries. The bodies of Barry and Helen uh, on ice, obviously. And he goes... She, he opens up the door while she's going up the ladder and reveals himself, and then Ray saves the day. Ray, at this point, is he on the boat yet? Yeah, Ray. Well, he can, he gets his uh, dinghy <laughs> and yeah. gets out there and gets yeah, on the boat. Ray, he regains consciousness and steals a motorboat to rescue Julie, and ultimately uses the rigging to sever Ben's hand and sends him overboard. Yeah, well, Jennifer Love Hewitt kind of fucks Ray over a little bit, because he's about to 
beat the fisherman. And then Julie, like, screams. yells, screams, yeah. hooray, I've and then he gets that. fucked up. And yeah. so, like, I was like, man, you're really screwing your guy over there. <laughs> Jennifer Love you. Yeah. So, like I said, yeah, it, it, the, the thing, he goes, because he says something like, you know, if, if you're going to really kill someone, make sure they're really dead. And Which he is goes, a fair point. He goes to Hooker, and then it gets caught and, and on the rope, and, and the rigging, Ray notices it right away, pulls a lever, it sends him upwards, Slices his hand off at the top uh, where the, the rope meets the uh, the end, and then like he gets his leg caught in it. All of a sudden, he's swinging around, and all of a sudden, he just gets swung out into the the, the, the water into the sea and gets yeah knocked out into there. And I just want to say it's a fair point by the fisherman. He's like, make sure they're dead. Well, he was plainly fucking alive yeah. when they dumped him. Right. So I don't know why they're all so surprised. When they start getting notes and shit, who could it be? I don't know, the guy that was on a short fucking dock that you left alive. That's who it could be. I mean, realistically, these four entitled motherfuckers should be, like, at least seeing a judge about this situation. Like, they get off... I mean, even this next scene here, where the cops, like, do you have any idea why this man would want to kill you? And they're both like, no. They still fucking deny it. Yeah, they clearly haven't uh, learned their lesson. Do you have any idea why this man would want you dead? None. It boggles my mind. It always has. Like, the cops is like, you wouldn't have any idea why this man would want to hurt you, would you? And they're, just, they're looking at each other for us, and they're both like, nope, not a clue. Totally random. Yeah, and it, it's like, I can sympathize at some point. Like, I, obviously, we were all teenage drivers at one point. And, you know, I was in an accident. You get scared. You don't know exactly what to do when you're old. You don't fucking run off, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, you don't run off, so I have a hard time sympathizing with any of these characters. You know, most of the time I was rooting for the fisherman. I think he's a pretty likable yeah. guy, other than he killed Galecki. I felt a little bad about that, but, yeah. you know, I was, I was kind of rooting for him. Why like, you got to kill fuckers. Clark Griswold? Why you got to kill Ross Griswold like that? Yeah. Um. So we cut to a year later. It's 1998. Julie's at, back at college in Boston. As she enters the shower... She notices the words, I still know, written in steam on the shower door. Moments later, she turns around. We hear that ding. Turns around again. And the dark figure, a.k.a. Fisherman, crashes, a.k.a. dives through the door at Julie as she screams. And the film ends. And that is 1997's I Know What You Did Last Summer. Great ending, by the way. I, I remember, you know, jumping at the ending. And I know it's cliche nowadays with a lot of horror movies ending like that. But, you know, I, I, it wasn't as common back then when this came out. I, I thought it was a pretty good ending. Yeah, I, I, I like, you know, let's give him some credit here. The director, uh, Jim Gillespie, who is uh, Scottish, didn't do a whole lot. Did this. He did that crappy Stallone movie. Detox. Too, yeah. Detox, yeah. I or mean, or I see you, however you mediocre. want. Mediocre. I'll say mediocre. Whichever region you uh, live in, it, it's called detox or I know you. Yeah, it was mediocre. Yeah, I've seen it once. I don't really remember it too much. I, I remember. Remember having a big cast of older actors, and it's it's a whodunit slash. It's not really a slasher, or is it? It kind of is, but kind of yeah, isn't. It's like a whodunit. Yeah. Well, like Sylvester Stallone, Tom Berenger, Charles S. Dutton, Sean Patrick Flannery, Dina Meyer, Robert Patrick, Robert Prosky. Courtney B. Vance, uh, Jeffrey Wright, and Chris Christopherson. 
that's the cast of this movie. So the cast is a lot better than the actual film itself, trust me. Uh, and then the last film that I remember that he did was a film back in 2005 called Venom. Oh, not the one with Tom Hardy? <laughs> no, no. This is the horror flick with uh, Agnes Bruckner, Jonathan Jackson from Camp Nowhere, Laura Ramsey from The Mist. Not The Mist. Um, the Ruins. This was the... Was it like... the Megan Good. In, it was set in the bayou or yeah, something like yeah. that? I remember it, yeah. Because it came out right after that hurricane. Yeah. And it was big uh, uproar about yeah, it. Yeah, Hurricane Katrina. Yep. Yeah. And Method Man's in it, too. So, and I saw it in the theater opening night, for the record. Of course you fucking would. I did. Uh, thank you, Sean. <laughs> Let's open up the inbox. See what our friends and fans had to say. See what Carlo's got to add. <laughs> Carlo comments. Uh, what's in the box? What's in the fucking box? Alright, let's start with our big, big fan, Nick Browneller. Late to this, but I like these more than I should. A secret crush, perhaps? The Scream series as well. If only for the senseless killings of characters that you know are gonna get it. More fun than scary, though. But a series for this show? Too much. Uh... Carlo, we love Carlo, said, Haven't seen it in a long time, but I do remember loving it back in the day. I think I saw it two or three times in theaters. But seriously, I do think it holds up a bit better than most screen rehashes. The cast has good chemistry and the jump scares are solid. Our buddy Josh from your next favorite movie says, I haven't watched this one in years. I'm not even sure how I feel about it. Uh, Film Floggers commented, same here. I've now got a couple of decent excuses to rewatch it. You're damn right. Uh, let's see one more thing. Someone read. Just don't watch the sequel. Yeah, they're right. All right, Chadrack. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Said, "I'm sorry, but those kids had that shit coming. They thought they killed someone, and not even one of them did the right thing. Even at the end, when asked by the police why the man would want to kill them, they go shrugs." Yeah, I agree. And then also, there yep. we we didn't bring this up before, but Jennifer Love Hewitt makes a comment. Well, we didn't kill anybody. I'm like, you still hit and run yeah. the fucking guy and left them for dead. Let's like, not even talk about you know the the psychological drama and, and I mean trauma that you put you know on on certain various people. It's just you selfish son of a bitch. Yeah, like yeah, he's a murderer, but you still fucked him over and left him. Exactly. Nah. All right. So how did we get here? Sketch. How did we get here? I led you here, sir. For I am Spartacus. Alright, so I know you did last summer was a, was a screenplay penned by Kevin Williamson several years beforehand, which was then rushed into production by Columbia Pictures upon the success of the Williamson written Scream from 1996. It was based on the 1973 novel of the same name by Lois Duncan. A youth-oriented suspense novel about four young people who are involved in a hit-and-run accident involving a young boy. Uh, the producer, Eric Feig, pitched the idea of a screen adaptation to Mandalay Entertainment and subsequently appointed Williamson to retool the core elements of Duncan's novel, rendering a screenplay more akin to a 1980s slasher film. Inspired by his father, who had been a commercial fisherman, Williamson changed the setting of the novel to a small village, uh, small fishing village, a small fishing village, and made the villain a hook-wielding fisherman. The killer's arming of himself with a hook is a reference to the urban legend The Hook, 
uh, which the four main characters recount at the beginning of the film around the campfire. We talked about that already. According to Williamson, he wrote the scene as a way to indi- of indicating uh, what was to come. Basically, what I was doing was I was setting the uh, framework to say, "All right, audience, that's the le- that's that legend. Now here's the a new one." Unlike Williamson's screenplay for the first film, uh, Scream, that he did, which incorporated satire of the slasher film, I know was written more as a straightforward slasher film. Uh, Jim Gillespie commented in, in 2008, "The joy of this film for me as a filmmaker was in taking was in taking the elements that we've seen before and saying to the audience, here's something we've seen before, knowing that they're gonna say we've seen this before and still getting them to jump." I'm following what they're saying, but I'm just not. I'm just not a fan of the way they're wording it. Gillespie also claimed that he felt Williamson's screenplay did not resemble a slasher horror movie, and that he saw it rather a simply really good story with a morality tale embedded with it. Uh, so yeah, uh, yeah definitely a slasher. <laughs> yeah, I, there's no, no no doubt about that. There's no other way around it. That's not even up for discussion. This is throwing through a slasher movie. Yeah, it's definitely a little different, uh, you know, because you have, like they said, the morality of it. And, you know, that's one thing I forgot, um, you know, and then remembered upon rewatching is, you know, this one has definitely more of a slow burn, has a low body count. I mean, uh, the first kill isn't until 40 something minutes into the movie. Uh, so it's definitely uh, a little bit different than a lot of the slashers of the time. They did not have a lot of the morality or the slow burn. Um, so I appreciated that part of the movie. I, I think, right. you know, I think the characters are good enough to, to hold it up. You know, some of the writing's a little bit ham-fisted, you know, when the characters are yelling, oh, you big shot quarterback or whatever. <laughs> you know, some of it's a little hokey, but right. yeah, yeah, I gotcha. uh, But I'm it holds you. up fairly well. Like, I was surprised uh, by how much I liked watch, re-watching this. I thought it was going to be a little bit of a slog when... <laughs> you know, you told me we were doing this one. Uh, let's take a look at the box office receipts, shall we? In the operational funds box, we will deposit 250000 American dollars. You take it out, we put more in. I want receipts. So I know what you did last summer was released on October 17th, 1997 from Columbia Pictures. It opened up across... 2,524 screens and opened up at number one opening weekend with 15.8 million. Second weekend, it dropped 20.9% to 12.5 million, still holding the number one spot. Which is crazy that that's all it dropped. I know. Grand total, $125.3 million worldwide against a $17 million budget. No wonder a sequel was fast tracked for one year later. Yeah. Yeah, I wish they would have took more time on that one. Yeah, (laughs) that movie. Full of glorified cameos and uncredited roles, what have you. Let's see. um, Jeremy Combs is in that movie. uh, Jack Black is in that movie. Um, What's his face from uh, uh, Sons of Anarchy? Uh, He was also in Too Fast, Too Furious. Um, uh, Mark Boone Jr.'s in that fucking oh, movie. Oh, yeah, Mark Boone Jr. Okay, I forgot he was in that. Yeah, I mean, Bill Cobb, John Hawks is in that movie. Jesus Christ. Jennifer Esposito's in that movie. Uh, it's just 
so and that's just the minor roles slash cameos or uncredited performances it's just not a good movie no it's really bad no it's not a good movie at all um and the title doesn't really make much sense i still know what you did last summer it sounds good but then when you think about it well at this point it's another summer so it'd be I still know what you did two previous summers ago or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm just. I know, I know, I know, I know. It's I know, a I know. shitty fucking movie, so. Alright. I feel like taking a walk. So let's go over to the Critics Corner and see what they had to say about this, shall we? So, currently, the film has a 44% on Rotten Tomatoes. That is against 70 reviews. On Metacritic, it has a 52 out of 100 and a cinema score of B-. Uh, let's take a look at some of these critics and see... Let's see. Let's go with Leonard Malton first. So, movie historian Leonard Malton gave the film two out of four stars and described it as too routine to su- succeed overall. Too routine to succeed overall. Despite being based on a young adult novel, this is absolutely not for kids. Still, it's a classic compared to the sequel. Uh, <laughs> James Berardinelli. Credited both I Know What You Did Last Summer and Scream with igniting a new boom of slasher films, adding, there is one minor aspect of the plot that elevates I Know What You Did Last Summer above the typical, uh, above the level of a typical 80s slasher flick. It has an interesting subtext. I'm referring to the way the lives and friendships of these four individuals crumble in the wake of the accident. Guilt, confusion, and doubt build them. Uh, building them until they can no longer stand be with uh, stand to be with each other or look at themselves in the mirror. Sadly, this potentially fascinating element of the movie is quickly dismissed uh, to facilitate a higher body count. And as I said before, a few extra deaths can only make a slasher movie better, right? Uh, let's see here. New York Times wrote, This isn't real life. It's a grand guignol. That's a French term. Okay. Grand Grignol, I know I butchered it, of I Know What You Did Last Summer, laying its claim to succeed Scream as a high-grossing and blood-drenched date-night crowd-pleaser, and why shouldn't it? Uh, Let's see, one more, one more, where are you at? Ebes gave the film one out of four stars and wrote, that the best shot of the film is the first one. Yeah, I brought that up. That always stuck in my head because I, I always remember uh, reading his reviews. I would always like go into the entertainment section and uh, reading. And right. That one always stuck out to me. All right. Let's talk about the book in the segment that I'm calling for this episode. From the book to the big screen. All right. So, like I mentioned at the top of the episode... I read the book. I read the book not long after watching this movie, three or four times in theaters. So, like I mentioned at the top of the episode, I read the book um, not long after I saw it in the theaters, three or four times. And I remember not liking the book at all. 
And the reason being is because obviously I'm going into it thinking I'm going to read a version of what I just saw. And yeah. hopefully since it's a book and you can, there'll be more things to add to it that they didn't get around the filming for the movie. No, nothing like that at all. The, the, the movie has pretty much its own things going on and the book has its own things going on. Um, the, the end result's different. There's no fisherman. There's no hook. There's no, even the way they, they present themselves, the four main characters when dealing with this, um, you know, hit and run situation, you know, there's just not, it's not the same. In fact, I think Helen's character is a cheerleader in the book, if I'm not mistaken. But I, I honestly do owe the book a, an honest reread, you know, now that I'm older and can focus more and I'm going into it, not expecting something that it's not, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's not the novelization of the movie. <laughs> yeah. It's its own thing. Uh, I can tell you one thing. Lois Duncan, the author of the, of the book, hates this movie. Oh, I, who can blame her? I mean, it, you know, if it's completely uh, different with a different message, yeah, I can understand that. Like, it's your work, and then now they're just turning it turning it into a slasher movie. You know, I, I, I get it. I, I don't... If I wrote something and created something and then yeah. somebody else is just completely changing the whole meaning and uh plot i i get it yeah i would understand so yeah uh other than that um you know it's i honestly can't give it a true you know fault and opinion on it currently because like i said I, I read it when i was young and dumb so but yeah i have read the book and it's much different than the movie yeah. Uh, for better or worse. And yeah. Uh, that being said, unless you want to add something. Well, I just was going to say, like, it's targeted for young adults. So I'd be curious now what your thoughts would be, you know, being, <laughs> you know, well, once, I'm, year old once I'm done reading Carrie Brownstein's autobiography that I bought four years ago or no, six years ago, or maybe when I'm done the Matthew McConaughey book over there, or maybe when I'm done the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood uh, paperback. Maybe when I'm done, there's three. I will get around to reading this one again. <laughs> Just get Audible. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Audible. I can cheat it. Um, I, mean, I still got to read that 650-page Beastie Boys book, for Christ's sake. <laughs> Alright. Biggest takeaways. Mr. Madison, what you've just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response, were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought? Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. My notes after watching this are as follows. Man, this movie really takes me back. Opening flyover shot set the type of negative doing a cover of Summer Breeze is a legendary work of, uh, is a legendary work of brilliance. The cinematography overall is really goddamn good. I really do love this movie and I think it looks no, I really do love yeah, I really do love the look of this film and think it overall looks stunning. And finally my last note in here is Still love the fisherman's look and deadly approach after all these years. So, 
How about you? What you got yeah. for? So, um, this held up better than I thought it was going to. That would be my takeaway. I, you know, I really thought I was going to watch this and say, yeah, it's a throwback. It takes me back to my youth. Like, it's cool reliving that part um, of my uh, teenage years. But, you know, this movie doesn't hold up. But actually, it's right. the opposite. It, it's it's not fantastic. Like, it's not a great movie. But it's a pretty good slasher movie, and it's a lot—it's a lot more different than Scream than I remember. Because obviously, it's influenced by it, but this is much more of a straightforward uh, slasher movie. And I—and I, um, I, it was brought up in the critics' corner, but I really do agree that it's elevated a little bit by you know the morality part and the characters. Now, obviously, that could have been—that yeah. could have been fleshed out a lot more and uh, dealt with a lot better. And you know, maybe the movie would benefit from that. But you know. It, turns into a normal slasher movie uh halfway through but you know it adds something there and yeah i enjoyed it a lot more than i thought i was going to yeah i had a good time all right very good all right well we'll go from that to mulligan moment if you had to do it all over again would you make the same choices and i have here uh, for me, I would follow the book closer and, and give Lois Duncan that little bit more respect that she was initially given. Um, that's not to say, like, I just talked about the book, you know, not, and talking about how I didn't like it from when I was younger because I was expecting something else. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind I would go back to it today and have a more positive opinion on the book, I'm, I'm sure. Um, but overall, I do remember some, some key things that happened that, you know, the, the movie kind of either doesn't include or fucks up. So overall, that being said, Lois Duncan, uh, followed the book closer, gave her that respect that she wasn't given initially. And other than that, I can't think of anything else. It's, it's really, that's the one thing I would change solely. So, yeah. So mine is the, um, early scene where they actually hit, um, the fisherman and um you know dump his body i think it could have been handled a little bit better i mean the characters to me just come off very uh unsympathetic and unlikable just how quickly they're willing to just run and dump this guy (laughs) right you know i can understand barry being very quick to be like that because that's his character uh but i really wish it would have maybe taken a little bit more convincing and they would have spent a little bit more time and a little bit more impact right there right uh you know i it just made me really not like the characters after that, you know, because just kids, if you're listening, don't, if you hit somebody, just stop and call the police. You know, I understand, like, it negatively affects your life, and it's natural to think about yourself in a situation like that, because anybody would, you know, if they said they would, they aren't, then they're lying. But, you know, it just instantly <laughs> made me uh, look at them, <laughs> and it's just hard to sympathize or, you know... I don't know. I just think it could have been handled a little bit better or maybe you still disagree with what they did, but you can kind of understand a little bit more. And also they were kind of dumb in that one. Like, I mean, should we take his wallet and identify him? Nah, let's not do that. That way we have the mystery later, you know? So, uh, you know, I wish that was reworked a little bit, but other than that, yeah, that I think the movie is pretty solid for a slasher movie. Other than that. Very good. All right, finger looking good. 
finger licking good. So we both have the same. Yeah. Thing. Spoiler alert. We talked about it earlier, basically, uh, briefly. Um, and that is the chase. Helen's chase is just the highlight of this movie. Yeah. I, th- I think for most people, it's the highlight, I would imagine. I distinctly, I don't remember much, but I remember the chase. Yeah. You know? It's a good chase. It goes through the whole town of Southport for the most part. Uh, everyone's quiet and nothing going on. And it's just too little too late in the end for uh, poor old Helen Shivers. I mean, her and her sister got got during this sequence here. Right. So I, I'd hate to be Papa Shivers the next day. Uh, but other than that, no, not in a serious note, I think that, you know, th- this, this chase is just phenomenal. Um, I don't know what the film would be without it. And I, I mean that this film really does. I mean, this, this, this chase really does. Cause it's a slasher movie, dude. You want yeah. a really good chase. You know, you think of your Sally Hardesty being chased by the, by a leather face, your Sydney Prescott being chased by Ghostface, Nancy Thompson getting chased by Freddy. Now you have, you know, and this is no different, so. Yeah, it, it, and it's tense, and, you know, yeah, it's well done, well shot. Very like tense. you said, the cinematography is, it's uh. stunning. Yeah, so, it's, it's a great chase scene, yeah. I, I think, without this, I, I would have labeled the movie a little bit dull otherwise, like, if this, if it wasn't as well done as it is, uh, you know, because it's such a slow burn going in right. to the movie um, with the body count and the slashers. It doesn't have a high body count, but this one's definitely uh, quality. All right, well, that leads us to the final installment of the episode. Final thoughts. I say we uh, tie a bow on it and put her to bed. All right. Putting a bow on this little baby here. This movie, really, like you've been saying, like it, it was a pleasant surprise, to say the least. Um, holds up. Not the highest body count, but doesn't matter. Um, it still has. I would say some eerie moments of the movie. I'm not gonna forthright say it's scary, but the the film has its fair share of eerie moments. Um, and I that opening shot, the flyover shot, I love it to death. The music is one thing, you know. The the camera work overall. Um, it's just, I, I really do like this movie a lot and, um, kind of curious to see how this new series plays out. Uh, I noticed that, I mean, Amazon's been, uh, playing coy as to, uh, the killer's look and everything. So I'm curious to check it out and hopefully it's, uh, if it's half as good as this movie, I'll be satisfied. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um. My takeaway is pretty similar. Like, you know, I think looking back on it, um, this one might not be remembered as fondly as Scream. And I like Scream a lot better than I like this. But like I said, I was surprised that, you know, with it only being released a year after, uh, there's a lot of comparisons drawn, but it's different enough and uh, the materials elevated enough. I had a really good time. I think if anybody was a teenager around that time in the mid to late nineties, it's going to really throw you back. Even if you don't have a memory of watching it, I just think the soundtrack and just the way the movie's done. If you've seen any slashers from that time, it's really going to throw you back. And I think you're really going to enjoy it. 
Um, and there was an interesting tidbit um, on here. So um, Melissa Joan Hart, I, when I was researching this, <laughs> she was actually in the running to be in the movie, which I think is so funny because she is completely just not thought of at all with horror movies. Like, you know, she hasn't done anything, but, you know, she was almost in this. Uh, you know, I don't know how close they were, but I know she was like right. seriously being considered. Um, so I don't know. It was just something interesting that I read when I was uh, looking stuff up. For this movie, and then I also um, read that um, Jennifer Love Hewitt and mm-hmm. Sarah Michelle Gellar auditioned for each other's parts. Yes, I so, knew that. I knew that. Yeah, yeah so that was kind of interesting, but I think it worked out well. I think Jennifer Love Hewitt is a little better suited for her part, Julie. Yeah, and uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar is the beauty queen. Yeah, the film's got quite the legacy, and it's um, it developed two sequels. One went, one was theatrical, the other one just would be great if, if it was never watched or streamed ever again <laughs> it's, it seriously is god awful the third film i'll always know you did yeah. last summer i haven't seen it so I, bad I so watched, terrible i watched um an online review of the uh somebody that just ripped into it so yeah i've never seen it i still nope. know was enough for me i remember being really excited wanting to see the sequel and then even then, you know, as teenage me, I knew, I was like, oh, this is shit. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm not even talking about uh, <laughs> cinephile Corey. I'm talking about teenage Corey. Oh, I mean, yeah. that shit wasn't holding up. Uh, so it was a shame, and I think that's really kind of what killed this franchise. I think if it would have been a solid sequel, we could have seen more. I mean, this, like we said in box office, this was a huge moneymaker, the first one. Uh, so I think if the sequel would have been a little bit more solid, you know, we might have gotten more of a franchise out of this than just two terrible sequels. All right. Well, this episode is sponsored to us by Reynolds and Roland Law, because your ass is going to need them if you're ever involved in a vehicular manslaughter incident. Forget the hit and runs and prevent two films worth of torture from the fishermen and let Reynolds and Roland take the hook for you. All that being said, this film definitely gets the film effects seal of approval, and that, folks, will bring things home for this edition of the show. One down, many more to follow. If you enjoyed this episode and want to continue to support the podcast, then please do so by leaving a five-star rating and positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever accessible. It helps with the algorithm and helps us grow so more and more can enjoy. And while you're at it, check out the website, podpage.com, where you'll find our ever-growing collection of previous episodes. Pick up some merch at tpublic.com slash user slash film effect podcast. Shirts, t-shirts, cases, bags, cases, whatever, you name it. It's all on the site. We sell it different designs as well. Um, and also, we've got one final trip to Haddonfield to take, folks. And that's coming up this Monday as we'll be covering the brand new Halloween Kills from top to bottom and all around. We're giving the film its due in court. And let me tell you guys, we saw it last night. And I cannot wait to talk about it with you all. So yeah, that'll be Monday. So, um, Corey, once again, this is like the third or fourth episode back with me, and it's been—it's I can't thank you enough. It's been great having you on yeah, here. Yeah, it's been—it's been fun filling in. You I know, know it's um, been great. We got things coming up that I'm looking forward to as well. And um, like I said, thanks for reminiscing on a childhood favorite of ours uh, for a couple hours today. Yeah, no, it's been great. I look forward to coming back yeah, down the road. So until next time, when we come back for Halloween Kills. Something about 
theater lights going dim and curtains are closing and <laughs> join the show. Silence your phones. Silence the phones <laughs> and uh, let's all go to the lobby and have all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, until Monday, guys. It's been fun, but now it's done. See ya. See you guys. <laughs>